0: This is another Red FM podcast and remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts check out redextra.ie It's full of great Red FM content
1: And a very good morning to you, this is Mick Mulcahy and we look at the morning, papers now, thunder and rain set to put a damper on the weekend, Liam De Bruyne reporting in the mail today, kind of what I just said there, soak up that heat like there's no tomorrow, because Eireann is forecasting the glorious 23 degrees that's in the east and south uh, today we've been enjoying of late, is coming to an end with thundery conditions and yes rain with it very, very distinctly on the horizon. By tomorrow, the cold front will have moved in. Heavy showers will arrive, which will extend into the weekend. And a Metair and spokesman said temperatures will move uh, much lower for Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday night could be cold, but that low system uncertainty means the exact details are unclear yet. It's all Harry Styles this morning all over the newspapers, not just the dip he took in uh, the Vico bats. Is it Vigo or Vico? Uh, Vico Road in Dorky, uh where Bono lives, actually. And uh, doesn't um that songstress live there as well? Uh, do, 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 do. Enya. Uh, she lives, I think, in the gate opposite Bono. But uh, there's a little dip there. You can dip in the Irish Sea. And uh, Harry Styles caused a splash as he took a dip in the sea. And then the following evening, uh, wowed 65,000 people at Dublin's Aviva Stadium. The watermelon sugar hitmaker, who's just 28, was spotted the previous evening at the Vico Bats in Kalini, Vico or Vico, I don't know. Uh, in a moment reminiscent of the actor Matt Damon, Harry arrived with a plastic bag. His was Tower Records. If you remember, Matt Damon's was Super Value and what branding that was for Super Value. And uh, tattooed Harry, he's got lots of tattoos actually, was seen sporting a pair of black and white striped swimming shorts as he dived into the Irish Sea. Uh, the Echo's front page is Bonfire's A Real Threat, plastic surgeon gives stark warning a consultant plastic surgeon has described uh, horrific experiences treating toddlers who have fallen into bonfires as many Cork frontline workers prepare for one of their busiest nights of the year Consultant plastic surgeon at the Bon Secours Hospital, Anne McKenna, said that every year she sees children aged between 18 months and 3 years old who are seriously injured on bonfire night and urged caution ahead of tonight's celebrations. So uh, be careful. Uh, Firefighters say their only priority is to keep people safe. Sarah Hogan's story continuing from page 1 in the Echo. We've seen people who've become pinned by burning pallets that have fallen on them. The severity of the burn depends on the length of time you're in contact with the heat and the part of the bonfire it occurs. Here they are stamping a peat anyway. Uh, And, uh, you know, all of the emissions into the air... Uh, I'm surprised that bonfires aren't banned. I know it's a long-standing tradition, but uh, certainly not good for the environment. Uh, But immediate cooling is the only thing that can reduce the burn. Anything that happens in hospital is merely to manage the pain, dressings or surgeries. So be careful if you are lighting a bonfire tonight, make sure it's supervised. uh, Make sure there's enough, um, maybe a medical kit or something alongside. Uh, The Echo also has man-jailed For nasty and brutal assault, Liam Halen reporting that injuries were inflicted on a woman in Middleton on New Year's Eve by a man wearing a sovereign ring who punched her repeatedly in the face and broke a bottle over her head, a court has heard. Judge Sarah Berkeley jailed Limerick man Raymond Constable for two and a half years for the offence of assault causing harm. The Mirror has murdered Jennifer's brother, uh, Backs Register, to help save others from the same ordeal. Murder victim Jennifer Poole's brother Jason has called for new laws allowing guardy to disclose someone's history of domestic violence. He said it hopes it would mean other families don't have to go through what we are going through. Mom of two, Jennifer, who's 24, or was 24, was fatally assaulted by her violent partner, Gavin Murphy, ...at her home in Melville Drive in Dublin's Finglas on April 17th last year. Uh, Donnelly to address ED bed crisis. Uh, Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly met with senior officials from his own department... ...and from the HSE yesterday to discuss immediate responses to the pressures... ...currently being faced by the 29 emergency departments, EDs, across the country. Currently, it's ongoing and it's been like this for 30 years... The meeting came as figures from the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, the INMO, show that 477 admitted patients were waiting for beds at hospitals nationwide yesterday morning. 57 admitted patients were waiting for beds at the ED in the CUH here in Cork, which is the highest figure for any ED in the country. The trolleys are lining the halls and uh, it's just at bursting point. But elsewhere in Cork... 16 admitted patients were waiting for beds at the Mercy University Hospitals, MUHED, uh, while there were six patients waiting for beds on wards at Bantry General Hospital. Couple found dead sent letter. To local woman, uh, Neil Michael reporting in uh, today's Examiner, that the English couple found dead in their Tipperary home wrote to a local resident and specifically said they were leaving the area. Gardier understood to have seen a letter written by either Nicholas Smith, who was 81, or his wife Hilary, who was 79, in which one of them says another English couple are coming to stay at the house. The letter also urged the woman uh, they wrote to not to worry if she saw strangers at the house. The letter, which uh, the Irish examiner understands, was sent to a woman who the couple was friendly with after she called to the house following the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's an intriguing and sad and, uh, in some ways, tragic uh, case here. Um, one, uh, one of the couple put the letter through the woman's letterbox. And that, I suppose, served to allay fears that uh, anything untoward was going on in the house. Certainly that uh, there was two dead people in the house because they had written to someone they knew and trusted and were friends with. Uh, that they were going away. Uh, majority fear no solution to costs soaring, is the stark headline in the front of the Mail today. Shocking poll finds just 9% have faith that the Coalition can tackle the inflation crisis. Four out of five people believe the government will fail to fix the soaring cost of living in the budget this year, and a Morik Irish Daily Mail survey has shown. It comes as the paper revealed that Taoiseach Michal Martin's mission to seek a special VAT derogation to reduce the price of fuel has been ruled out by the European Commission. It's a fresh blow to the government, uh, but it will not come as a surprise to the vast majority of the public, who when asked if they were confident the coalition could alleviate rapidly rising prices in the mail survey, 80% of them said no, just 9% had faith in the government's ability to help, while 11% said They were not sure. And here are the uh, thoughts from that survey. Have you considered switching to public transport because of the rising cost of fuel for your car? 29% said yes. 58% said no. And 13% said, I don't have a car. Do you support the proposal to abolish motor tax for car owners to ease the cost of living? Uh, 74% said yes. No uh, was 15%. And don't know uh, was 12%. That's an immediate way that you could alleviate, uh, motoring costs. I know it would be seen to be unfair for those who have paid out in advance for a year, uh, a year's tax, but maybe they could do it for three or six months time to say, we're going to give a 20, 30, 40, even 50% reduction in car tax. Remember Fina Fall said, vote for us back in 1992 and we'll abolish car tax. Uh, remember Enda Kenny said, uh, taxing a person's home is immoral. Uh, But they go back on their word all the time, the politicians, okay, as they sway with whatever wind is blowing. Are you confident the government can alleviate the rising cost of living in the budget? Yes, said only 9%. No said 80%, and don't know said 11%. It makes for some very interesting reading uh, in this morning's mail, and you can check it out from the front page. The examiner, just one in seven people are renting out of choice. Just one in seven people renting are doing so out of choice, and people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s are increasingly limited to live in house shares with other people, according to a new report. Threshold, a housing charity, said more than half of the people they surveyed expect to have their own home by 2027 with Tennessee insecurity being the single biggest reason behind the desire to exit the rental market. The report, We Are Generation Rent, comes as Housing Minister Dara O'Brien said there was a scourge of vacant sites across the country that could be used for housing. 14% are renting by choice. 54% expect to be still renting in 2027. 28% only expect they will have their own home. And 64% are renting because they cannot buy a home. Uh, according to the examiner this morning. Visitors quoted, um, I saw this three or four days ago, actually. Uh, visitors quoted €50,000, actually €51,000 for car hire. Uh, that's more than for a helicopter. It's actually more than the car they were trying to rent cost uh, by about €6,000. So you could have bought it, insured it, dro- driven it around for a week and probably got uh, forty grand back for it. A family from New York were quoted almost €50,000 to rent a van for a nine-day summer holiday in Ireland. Former Leitrim councillor John McCartan said his brother-in-law was quoted $51,353 by Expedia for a nine-seater van and joked they would have been cheaper hiring a helicopter. Car hire prices have rocketed in the wake of the pandemic when many firms were forced to sell off their fleets due to a lack of tourists. Mr. McCartan called the price an embarrassment, pointing out you could buy the same vehicle for around €45,000. He told the Irish Daily... Uh mail that uh, obviously he'd never consider paying such an exorbitant rate uh, it was a feeling of bemusement and outrage. I googled to see how much it would cost to get the use of a helicopter and I discovered for that around 200, for around 200 kilometers, it would be in the region of 3,500 euros a day and that would have come with a pilot and fuel <laughs> The Ireland we live in. Staff quitting childcare jobs for better pay in McDonald's, says the Mail, uh, this is a very interesting story. If you value me as a child, you should value those who care and nurture me, uh, what I experience uh, now uh, and forever. So uh, says a little sign held up by a protester yesterday because child care providers say staff are leaving to find better paid jobs with Lidl and McDonald's, despite uh, many being university Educated and such is their frustration. Representatives from early childhood care and education and daycare services joined a demonstration at Leinster House yesterday to protest new core funding proposals which would cap their fees at last year's rate of inflation of 2.2%. But we're likely to have inflation of 7, 8 or 9% this year when it all plays out. Elaine Dunn, the president of the Federation of Early Child Care Providers, which organized the demonstration, said businesses will go bust if they have to cap their fees. Protesters spoke of how their employees are able to get better wages in supermarkets and fast food chains, despite many being university educated. The protest took place yesterday. Over to the Irish Times, who says top judges and doctors' wages will rise next week by over €20,000 Euros a year. The recession-era cuts are reversed after the government receives legal advice. Micheál Martin on Taoiseach has said it's the law. Uh, There's nothing we can do about it. Supreme Court judges will see wage packets rise by 21,147 to a mere 257,872. Top judges and doctors' wages will rise by more than 20 grand annually next month after recession-era cuts are reversed. Uh, Meanwhile, at the maximum pay point of the pay scale, the best-paid public consultants will have their wages climb 22,972 to their restored level of two hundred and fifty-two thousand. 150. Some people are trying to live uh, on that very increase itself. The government examined whether it was legally possible to stall the increases, but advice from the Attorney-General precluded them from introducing legislation to prevent the restoration uh, going ahead. Europe styming Michael Martin's efforts to uh, uh, get uh, a deal done on VAT to reduce fuel prices. Attorney-General stymieing their efforts to uh, delay or stall these pay restorations. The timing is not great. The optics are not great. But apparently, legally, they have to do it. Often your hands are tied, I guess. Uh, there is a uh, Mirror front page story uh, about uh, boy B subjected to manipulation. Uh, victim's dad is being buried today. One of the teenagers convicted of murdering schoolgirl Anna Cregel, began his bid for freedom yesterday. The Court of Appeal heard Boy B was subjected to manipulation and pressure from Gardaí, but the DPP's barrister, Brendan Green, senior counsel, said he stands 100% behind the conduct of the detectives following the murder in 2018. A couple more before we get to the phone lines. A kicking of the teeth for taxpayers. A soul trap woman flies to Turkey. Legal aid for a woman who flew to Turkey. Uh, while facing an assault charge here should be revoked. A Fine Gael Senator has said Teresa Dinnigan, 35 years of age of 18 Greenard Longford, is due back from Izmir after her bail terms were temporarily relaxed so she can have cosmetic work done on her teeth. Miss Dinnigan, together with two co-accused, is charged with carrying out an assault in a feud-related incident on another woman inside Penny's in Longford Shopping Centre on March 16th. And off to Turkey she went uh, to get her teeth done. And uh, the call now is for her legal aid uh, to be revoked. And that call coming from Fine Gael. It's 22 minutes past nine now. Good morning from the Neil Prendival Show.
2: The number one talk show in court. If
3: it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about
1: it. The Neil Show on
2: Red FM.
1: And we'll come back to more stories from the morning papers uh, a little later on. If you want to get in touch with the program, it's 0818-104-106. And if you want to text or WhatsApp, it's 0868-104-106. 8 uh, the weather outlook is not too good. Uh, as we have been mentioning, it's going to be mostly cloudy, uh, with patches of rain spreading northwards across the country. Uh, and okay, to our phone lines we go, and uh, on our WhatsApp phone line, uh, let's go right now. And uh, Good morning. Hello, can you hear me? Hello? Akko, do I, do I have the pronunciation well, yes. correct? Yes. Okay, Akko. Yes, Neil, yes, how are you? Good morning. Uh, very good, it's Mick actually, but don't worry. My name okay. is Mick.
4: Okay
1: okay, now a family yeah. from yeah, Ireland we have, yeah. a family from Ireland, yeah, parents yeah. and two children, uh, abandoned apparently by Qatar Airways in london 's Heathrow. Tell me the story.
4: yeah, yeah. I was with anne Mary trying to book the ticket for Suleimaniya, north of Iraq, so we checked the Qatar Airline from Cork to Qatar, Qatar to north of Iraq, Sulaimania, we checked it. You do not need any vaccination proof, any PCR test, because you are not going outside the country. Mm-hmm. You're transiting the airport. So, after that, we ran their main office in Qatar, just to be sure, before we buy the ticket. They say, you should not have a problem, you will be okay with it. So, we bought it with Anne-Marie, and it is three and a half thousand, we paid, we flew from Corbyn, to Heathrow, so there was no problem, there was no checking in Heathrow as well, from to Floyd, to Qatar, they didn't get us, and I told them all the proof, I take pictures from their own website, the Kurdish from North of Iraq as well, I show them all the documents, they say, no, you cannot buy. The best option you have, rebooked tomorrow morning and do the PCR test. So I rebook it for the next It's tomorrow, same time, minutes past three I paid five hundred pounds over there in his for terminal four then following morning they sent us for terminal five to do the pcr test so we went there we did the uh, pcr test uh, which is I pay another four hundred seven uh, thirty pounds as well the result only after four hours come back only the result is come back for two of us for myself Arko the result is they didn't come back, and there is no telephone number to call them. So I went back to information desk and I explained. From there, they called to For the Suleimania, answers them they say it is not necessary. It's okay even without any vaccination, even without any PCR test, because here we will provide it on the customer's cost, which is 50 dollar. So they let us to go. So from Okay, there, let, let, yeah, let's get back to the start the plane, here.
1: And the plane was... Uh, yeah. Okay, okay yeah. I'll, I'll let you continue in a moment, but I just want to get back to the start. The reason for this trip, which was your first in seven years, yeah. was that you had a family member who was gravely ill, uh, and you were trying to get that, to see that yeah. family member. So you complied, it seems like you complied with yeah. all the rules... Confirmed with, which I think, yes. as a Qatar customer service team. You traveled from Cork to London with Arlingas. Yeah. They checked all your documents and issued your boarding yes. passes, not just for the Everything initial flight, but for your onward journey and for your return yes. flight. So you're, you very obviously felt you were clear to go. For...
4: Yes. Yes. They give me all the tickets until so Money, Everything was fine. No problem. All the documents required. They are very friendly, very respectful, very happy with them. But when we get to Heathrow, the next flight from the Heathrow, they didn't let us go. But I think the reason, because they told more than what they have over there, because seven people checked the ticket on the plane over there on, behind the disk. And it was so busy. More than 25 people, they didn't let us go uh, flying. And they, 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 they provide the hotel and the meal, everything for them, including me and another family. Okay. It, was it was Qatar's airline's problem. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't our fault. And I had all the documents. I take the screenshot. I show them as a proof Qatar doesn't need the, uh, vaccination or because we are not going inside the country. We're just transiting for one hour in the airport.
1: Okay. That's it. That must have been very traumatic um, for you. They,
4: they, they said no. Yes. Uh, no, you have to remove. And I re- paid another 517 euros for all of us. And they sent me to, I booked it for the PCR test. The PCR test I did at half past eight in the morning. Only the result was for two of us. For two of you back. came back. And doesn't show up. Yeah, and I told them, and I explained. They ran to the manager, to say, it doesn't matter. We will provide things on customers cost, which is fifty dollar, which is they do that in the first day. But
1: Without what, what the was ADA. the reason? What was the reason uh, they didn't allow you board? Did you did you require further documentation?
4: Uh, no. They didn't let me, but what I thought, because it was overcrowded, they sold more than ticket what's the space they had, ah, okay. there was no space, but what they did, yeah, so they sent all the people, which is, they, they, they sold it from Qatar themselves, which is, we booked it with a American Qatar
1: website. Yes, but you would have had, you would have had your boarding passes, there, you would have had your boarding passes three, printed earlier in Cork airport. So they should have known you were coming I at least. I
4: did it, but they didn't have the original one. Mm. Yeah, I did it. I was over there four hours before. Very so, early in the morning, they didn't have the original boarding ticket to print. They only have the, I, I don't know, some paper issue, something's issue. But anyway, they give me the boarding over there. They give me the boarding. All of them, all through.
1: Okay, tell me, tell me what happened after up, you were denied boarding. Um, it's not a great line because it's on WhatsApp and there's a bit of a delay. When, when
4: yeah yeah when I was delayed, so for the next uh, planes, so I spent five hundred twenty for the new ticket I spent four hundred twenty for the um PCR test but we only have two of them myself was missing I didn't get a result and I told them and I explained to me say hey, I was well, supposed to be there to see my cousin she's already passed away and, and not delay more than that they call Suleymanian Suleymanian give them the okay say it's okay he can come we will do it here for you.
1: Okay so while all this was going and on your, your, your loved problem one problem passed away?
4: Yes. And then the fight in Heathrow was delayed another five hours because some technical over there. Then I missed another flight in Qatar. I'm in Qatar now. I missed another flight. They delayed me for another ten hours. They didn't provide any room and things like that in Qatar. So I have to raise my voice again here. I was fighting. I was shouting. There's another 25 people here all gathered together and something. Finally, then we push them, then they give us some uh, place to sleep after 48 hours.
1: Okay. So you were denied any customer service support, you claim, and despite more than two hours' calls to customer service, Mm -hmm. um, and it's impossible, I think, to understand why others who refused boarding had their flights rescheduled. They had accommodation Uh, provided. Yeah,
4: they didn't. Even in London, they didn't give it to me. Even in here, this morning, they arrived uh, here half past one. They didn't give it a half past three because the the, the uh, plate is, is delayed. And one cast you to another, and is responsible. You cannot see the supervision, not see the manager.
1: So know? would would you contend that being left uh, in yes, the airport overnight, that you know. that you were bullied and being forced into pay for more tickets before being allowed to continue your journey?
4: Yes, yeah, I was sleeping in the airport. I couldn't, I, wow. I, I didn't have no. Address. And there's a people before me, I, I take the picture, have the record, they provide them the meal and the hotel as well. Okay. But they didn't give it to me because I, what I did, I just tried to fight it for my right. For so that, they just ignored me.
1: And when are you coming back to Ireland? Are you in the Cork area when you're here? Yes,
4: I will be in Cork again, yeah, yeah. on 11. Hopefully,
1: next month. Uh, Well, we're looking forward to giving you a welcome back anyway. What do you do here, Echo? Yeah,
4: thank you very much. Thanks so many.
1: Okay. Uh, Not a great line. And uh, listen, thanks for coming on anyway. Uh, And that seems like a very, very sad, sad sad situation. Thank you, Echo. Uh, A family from Ireland, originally, I think, from Catra, because that's where uh, we're calling Echo. Uh, Parents, two children. Uh, reportedly abandoned by Qatar Airways in London Heathrow. And we'll put into Qatar Airways, I think, for uh, for a statement if we can. Uh, 3,500 almost spent on their trip to see family for the first time in almost seven years. uh, An especially critical trip uh, because uh, there was a family member uh, in a very bad situation health-wise and the family was terribly upset. They complied with all the rules, confirmed with a member of the, uh, I think it was the Qatar customer service team, I could be wrong, but the family travelled from court to London with their Lingus, checking all their documents, and issuing their boarding passes for their onward journey and their return flights. Everything is going swimmingly. Then they were denied uh, boarding, and uh, denied, they say, any customer service support after hanging on the phone for two hours. Others who were refused boarding, uh, and it seems that Qatar has seriously overbooked this flight, Uh, had their flights rescheduled, they had accommodation provided, they had meals at no extra cost, yet Akko and his family, uh, who are (coughs) coming back to the Cork area, uh, were left in the airport overnight and apparently bullied and forced to pay more for tickets before uh, being allowed to continue their journey. And sadly, in the meantime, while all this was going on, their family member passed away. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now.
2: 0818 104 106 Red FM
1: 25 to 10 on this Thursday morning, June 23rd. And uh, to the phone lines we go now. And t- John, good morning, John. How are you doing? Mike? No, uh, I'm good. Now, you had to leave work to take care of your grandmother because there were yes. no interpreters for sign language in the hospital she was in. Your, your grandmother is deaf-mute, is that correct? Yes, that'd be right, yeah. Okay, yeah. tell us the story.
5: So, would, it would have been back in 2017, Mike, should date. I would remember cause she died on the 14th of June of course right, we just passed. So she would have been, uh, I last to fit with for sweet. I would have been going for a
1: Looks like we've lost him. It looks like we've got a bad line there. Um, we will come back to it. Uh, let's uh, release that line and see if we can uh, get John back on online. Looking at some of the uh, morning papers on the music uh, that's coming back, you'd be forgiven for thinking you were back in the 80s. Uh, the uh, hit review, including, of course, Kate Bush in the spotlight again, after her 80s hit running up that hill, hit number one in the charts, 37 years after it was first released, before being knocked off the spot by a young man from Monkstown called uh, Ronan O'Driscoll with Cages. Uh, And I know it can be a fleeting thing, uh, but that's uh, very, very good when it happens. The the big power songs, of course, and the big money behind the record companies uh, make that a rare occasion, but congratulations to Ronan on knocking Kate Bush off the top spot uh, in that particular chart. And by the way, Ronan's going to be here with us uh, tomorrow as well uh, to play us out on Friday, as we musically play out most Fridays now, uh, and playing his new single, Cages. Let's go back to uh, John. We've got him back on line two. Hi, John.
5: Sorry, there, Mike. Uh, it's my, oh, that's uh, a better line now. Yeah, 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 it's my area there. Okay, just to um, get
1: back to it, you had to leave work to take care of your grandmother, who was deaf-mute, because there were no interpreters for sign language whatsoever in the hospital she was in. Carry on with yeah. the story.
5: Yeah, so I, um, I, I had left work. I was working actually in Cork myself at the time, so it was easy to go out to see UH. But um, I, lived, I lived in Croom. And I used to have to I, I stayed off work, so I travelled from Croom to Cork every day for two weeks to uh interpretate with the doctors at whatever half seven in the morning. And there was another deaf lady I can remember in the ward that morning and the nurses said to me that this is the first time that there was ever two deaf newts inside. This lady was from Yale, I can't remember her name, but I interpreted for her as well. But her daughter just come by bus every day at about 10 or 11 o'clock probably transportation could have been the problem but my issue is mike is that there should be 24 uh interpretators in hospitals for irish people of the country you know um we're bringing people in from all other parts of the world we can't look after own. i'm born and bred from deaf people and it's annoyed me for a very long time very close to my heart and says you know they're treated like second-class citizens in a country where, where they've worked all their lives. Sure, John, j- just know? to
1: focus on that, if, if your grandmother is deaf-mute and there are no interpreters in the hospital, she's technically in limbo land on her own. Oh,
5: yeah, yeah, uh, I, I've had issues with doctors already, Mike. I've had issues, I, I, I had issues. like, I actually got a bit aggressive and, like, for, for good reason because when you're looking at a woman in pain like that and she's close to you like that, nobody wants to see somebody like that, like, you know. You, but you, then, you can't be there
1: 24-7. Uh, but the I fact like is, it. the fact is, no nurse can ask her how she is if she has a pain, no. how she's no. feeling. Nor can she no. communicate with no. the medical staff no. as to no. if anything is wrong with no. her. So she's no. not getting adequate care.
5: No, 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 never. No, 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 no. The only care she got really was probably through <laughs> um, uh, people who were them. There's a lot of deaf people isolated in this country, Mike.
1: That's, that's lot, not to say lot the lot. nurses would not have been kind to her. Of course, they would have been kind. But there's a well, huge communication gap.
5: There's a huge communication gap, and you're not about being kind, I'm not, as again, I wouldn't say any person that helps them there, but like with all their education and stuff, wouldn't you think Like if they were an interpreter for someone from Poland or something like that, they could have, they could have an interpreter for an Irish person inside in an Irish hospital? you think they'd have them 24-7 there, wouldn't you? So you, you're, uh, you're uh,
1: contending that we have enough interpreters for foreign nationals coming in here, but not for deaf people?
5: Of course, there's only four in Munster, and I know him personally. Do you know? So there's only four months that they can't be everywhere at one time, Mike. Yeah. Do you know? There's a lot of deaf people in Ireland like, that are have forgotten about. Do you know? Do you know? There's a lot of things. Like, I, I, I the list goes on really, but I, like, they like people go around and they call deaf mutes, they call them another word that i not even going to mention the name. They call it, it's spelled D-U-M-B, and by any means, they're far from that. Of I'm course I'm born not. from them people. Both my parents were deaf. Do you know, they gave me a gift by giving me sign language right, it, it should be taught in schools, you know? You know, you form national schools, they haven't taught potatoes inside you for them. Do they have them for the deaf? No. And again, I'm not a racist man. I'm an Irish man, proud Irish man, you know, but where does the line stop for these people, the unforgotten deaf, you know?
1: Yeah, my, my, my daughter did a, did a course in uh, in sign language and, uh, you know, maybe not an extensive course, but in her pursuit yeah. of, a, of a social work degree, uh, felt that it would be of an advantage. It's obviously a huge, huge gap uh, and would be a massive advantage to anyone she encounters that might be uh, deaf-mute.
5: Yes, of course, my Jesus. Like, you know, you, you got to think about it. Like, um, you know, I, I see it with people, and God, you know, it, it just shows innocence to people that can talk. Like, my mother there, but like I, I come from deaf myself. As you told you both my <clears> parents were, were deaf. I have relations that are deaf. Um, but... Uh, and I know a lot of different community, but some people don't really realise to the degree what deafness is because people come up and talk to my mother and they think that she's going to talk to her back again. Like, I shouldn't be laughing, really, but to, uh, you know, see it over the years. Um, I just I try to explain that she doesn't understand what you're saying to her, like, you
1: know. But, would, would your mother ha- have developed lip-reading techniques and mm, abilities?
5: Only to, only to a certain degree, you know, my favourite. Like, uh, if you were saying, like, uh, how they said you, the old... The, uh, the 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 was not she wouldn't even no slap foot like she don't like them kind of things but uh, she wouldn't be a fluent lip reader no but mm-hmm. um, she um, I know some deaf there would be but my mother not so much you know my mother uses the hearing aid now and she'd be able to hear us but she, my mother's nearly eighty you know Mike, and, yeah. um, she does know well on the, on
1: one side of the scale at, at the upper end of, of HSE operations when uh, when Tony Holland was giving out the uh, the the, you know, the national COVID figures every night and it became kind of magnetic listening and watching there there was always a facility to to uh, to have that information available to the deaf of ireland and at the other end of the scale at the, at the at the cold face if you like at the point of care uh, there's a huge deficit uh, and, you're, Massive. You're, and and deaf mute people in hospital are in that void
5: yeah 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 definitely definitely and and, and isolated from people like covid have made a lot of deaf people frightened, you know like i to, to be honest with you, there's a truth saying no news no, is good news. But I actually had to tell my mother to stop watching RT, but she wouldn't. Because it was frightening them, like, as yes. well, in a way, like, you know, it frightened them. Because I'd, be I'd be talking to a lot of deaf through FaceTime now, which is a great thing. That's probably the best thing that has come for the deaf in, in my lifetime. And has seen them being able to communicate through FaceTime, you know. And uh, it's, that's been a, a real ground opener for the deaf of Ireland because a lot of them don't drive a lot of them are getting of age, you now that they're not able yeah. to drive but they need more than that, Mike Do
1: John, you know I, I think mean? it's also important to differentiate, there's a big difference between an interpreter for foreign nationals uh, you know, which, which is needed oh, if people are fleeing oh, from oh, geez, from oppression oh, and that, there's a big difference between that and, and a assigned reader
5: oh, I, I know there's a big difference and again, as I say, uh, they're entitled to that, they're very entitled to that I, I, I've nothing against people coming into Ireland and going to work here I know if my mother and father worked all their lives, Mike my father worked in the Golden Bed for 30 years and names for 10. My mother worked in the Deer Park Hotel. She, my mother never asked rent off the system. No, I need the deaf people that I know. My cousin Patrick who's in the meat factory for the last 33 years and, and again within lanes before that. Never asked rent off the system. But what's there for their mental health and you know, X, Y and Z? They're not going to turn around and tell them things that are close to them about their private lives. There's none of that for them there. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Whereas, do you know, unless they have money, a lot of these deaf people don't have money. You know, you know, I don't need
1: to get on. But the, the number I, of the issue know, here is, is that if an Irish citizen is deaf-mute and is in hospital and there is no means of communication between that person and the medical staff, then there is a deficit of care and there is a duty of care in the state to fill that deficit course, a, and, and provide. Now, I'm not sure how long it would take to train up people in, in sign language. Um, but but uh, I don't know. Listen,
5: if they're educated enough to go to school and become doctors and nurses and go to college and stuff, one little thing there, to go away and sign them while you're going through in the four years and five years of the train, it wouldn't take that long to do sign language. I mean, I'm doing sign language before I was talking and I just don't remember because my family members taught me. So I was doing sign language before I could even talk to you on this phone as a kid, you know? Only I can't remember because I was born around it.
1: John, can, can, I, can I go back know? to your, your youth and, and being yes, born to deaf parents? H- how yes. did you begin to communicate in the world? How did they communicate with you? You oh, know, you know geez, before I, you had communication I, skills, when you were a baby
5: i got to tell you, you now, Mike, I, and this is this is from the bottom of my heart, I had the best upbringing from two of the best loving parents ever. I never wanted for anything. It, my father was so loving. Um, the nuns of Charles back in that time now would have been the late 80s would have given him a classroom every Monday night, and the amount of people from my local town, who would come and learn how to do sign language, so I would have learned a lot there. And he would have learnt me a lot at home, personally, one-to-one with his best friend, Jerry Ledger, which has passed away since as well. The two of them passed away, but they would have taught me a lot of sign language, and my brothers, so on. You uh, and
1: and your the, language ability, where did you learn? Was it was it Irish or uh, English you grew up well, with? I tell you, my, my, my relations, my
5: father's uh, sister, God rest her soul, and my, her, her daughter, and other family members from my mother's side as well, they were all of help really, you know. It was a very close-knit family. You know which we still are so thank god um but there was a lot of help from the family big help mm-hmm. and friends and, you know it was a close community the deaf is a close community but i found COVID as well as probably uh changed a lot of things for the deaf society i think in a way as well um you know my mother as i said does there's a doctor there's a, a doctor in dublin his name is dr collins and he sees deaf people but you can only be the, between the ages of 40 and 60. So what happens to the people that's between whatever from five to thirty-nine and from sixty-one to eighty? There's nothing there for them.
1: He sees nothing. people between the ages of forty and sixty.
5: Yeah, that's all he can see. That's the only age group he see. That's very strange. But there's nothing isn't else in from like as well. So I've been on. I've been. I've been talking to CDA. CDA this morning, which is the Car Association. I was talking to before I called two this morning, and 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 one deaf guy is thinking about going to England because. In England or in Northern Ireland, you get free electricity, free house. Now, I know this is, I shouldn't be laughing by saying this, but this is an Irish man in his own country. This is what annoys me. But he's, he's thinking about going to England because the cost of living here and when you're over there with, with a disability, it's, you probably get things a lot more better than you would in this country, you know?
1: Okay. That's, that's let's let's get back to your, y- y- your initial issue, John, is, is that because of the deficit of services for your deaf mute yeah, grandmother
2: it, it, yeah,
5: you, you it, it, had
1: to leave work where, where were you working and why did you feel walking, you had to leave
5: i was actually working directly across from the train station in cork in my in in, in, in um in a building there across from the train station in cork i was working in there um i was doing block work in there that's where i was working now and that would have been on around it would have been around the 22nd of third of february uh 2017 I got a phone call. She was being brought by the ambulance to the hospital, and from that day on, then you know, I just I just stayed with Maisie until she died three weeks later. Okay,
1: how so sad. Yeah, Very So sad. Wh- where Very do you sad. where do you go from here personally, John?
5: Ah, to be honest with you, Mike, um, it's always been in my heart about getting it out about death, and there should be more for death and for. You know, the deaf youth's coming through and for the old people of the the the, the old society the deaf, like to me I feel, I find like they've forgotten about, you know. Um uh as I said, like I know this this dream of mine will never happen that it'll be taught in school's sign language, but yet we can go and teach our people how to talk Irish and stuff like that and what about teaching people about sign language? It is like it is a language at the end of the day, you know. So you know, the list goes on, Mike, but yeah. I just want to get it out there for the deaf people. You know
1: that It's a valid point. It, it, it is a language, you know, in some places, not in all, of course, and there are people who will cling with messianic devotion to the Irish language, but in some places, having sign language could be the difference, especially in a hospital, between life and death. Oh,
5: yeah, of course, we have set up my of course. And you, you look at English shows, there are, like, shows in the north. Every show that's on, whether it be a kid's programme or an adult's programme, they have an interpreter down in the corner. You only get interpreter here on the news at half, or my mother watches it, which will be after the quarter to six news, the sign language news comes on. You should only get it once a day, like, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things as well. Like, oh, look, it definitely needs to be made more awareness in this country. Definitely, for me anyway, definitely.
1: Um, well done, John. It's, it's you, you've, you've put your point across very well, and, and you've certainly focused on the uh, the lack of... Sign readers and uh, the lack of uh, proper communication channels for the deaf mute in hospital, which leaves them yes. in a completely uh, unfair void. And I th- thank you yes, for coming on. Was,
5: yeah. Yes, Mike, I'm very thankful for taking me to. Not a thankful. problem. It's very been a pleasure. Thank you, John. God bless. Thanks. You bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye. Bye, bye bye. Now, the
1: Chemical Brothers have cancelled their gig at Musgrave Park in Cork tonight. A statement from organisers MCD and the group themselves on social media on Wednesday evening said the Chemical Brothers are sorry to announce they've had to reschedule their show at Musgrave Park in Cork on Thursday, June 23rd, due to illness. The show will be rescheduled to 2023. Uh, the Chemical Brothers, of course, are the veteran British electronic duo Tom Rollins and Ed Simons. Uh, They were to kick off their second batch of summer gigs at the Cork Rugby Stadium, uh, followed by Lewis Capaldi, who's coming in on Friday night. Dermot Kennedy on Saturday night, and the promoters of the Chemical Brothers in gig in in Cork say a new date will be announced in due course. The group had originally planned the gig for June 2020, but the pandemic had pushed it back to 2022. Uh, But, however, if they'd left it at illness, it would have been fine. Uh, But then they said uh, members of the band and crew had covid but the British duo have this weekend, or had this week announced an appearance at the Glastonbury Festival, which is tomorrow night. And a string of summer dates across Europe are also planned. And at the time uh, of going on air this morning, about an hour ago, there was no word yet on whether any of those performances would be affected. We've tried to contact MCD as well. Ticket holders will have the option of seeking a refund are holding on to their tickets for a future date. Uh, so let's see if they play, uh, in, uh, in Glastonbury tomorrow night. They had confirmed a set at this weekend's Glastonbury Festival, following, following rumors of their return. Uh, the electronic duo, um, have been tipped to fill one of the various to be confirmed slots at this year's lineup. But I think that was confirmed during the week. George Ezra also looks to be playing uh in the sunday afternoon slot on the john peel stage john peel the man who uh, responsible really for discovering thin lizzie though this has yet to be officially confirmed if they've let if they'd left it at uh, at illness they might have got away with it but now that they've brought covid into it i wonder will they actually appear at Glastonbury uh tomorrow night paul mccartney of course uh, on his 80th birthday week will be the headliner at Glastonbury. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. And to Ian online too. Good morning, Ian. Welcome to the Neil Prenderville Show. You're saying the Pet Show Boys could play an extra date there?
6: be wonderful if they could, but uh, unfortunately, obviously, that's not going to happen.
1: <laughs> How did it go last night? I saw one uh, detractor on Facebook actually about the gig. Uh, Connor O'Shea, who's uh, very, very well renowned as the Lange Man, was saying uh, a resounding no. To the pet shop boys last night what would you say
6: really that's the first uh, negative comment i've heard uh the music was tight the graphics were absolutely fantastic for two uh now fairly elderly men of 62 and 67 they really rocked you know it took me right back to 90s is that what they
1: are now i suppose they would be being big stars that's in the true. 80s
6: they are indeed yeah they are indeed. And. Uh, you know it's the, the the crowd there let's say the crowd was um mostly m- mid 40s upwards uh but everybody uh, was get, get getting their groove on rocked out it was absolutely fantastic
1: yeah tickets were like hen's teeth of course uh for the pet shell boys you, you got yours in early did you
6: i did indeed yeah as soon as it was announced uh that was going to be the gig of the year early and uh, so far that has fulfilled the expectations
1: uh, I got some videos on WhatsApp from people who were at the gig and one was a, a cover of uh, uh, Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. Uh, that's a kind of a strange one to cover. What did you think of that one?
6: Uh, I, I've i heard the cover before. Um, I'm not a fan of the song, either the U2 version or the Pet Shop Boys cover, you know.
1: But, uh, uh, come on, you've got to be a, uh, you've to be a fan of the U2 true. version.
6: I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't uh, it's just one of those ones which has just never really done it for me, but as you know, musical is, uh, music is the most personal thing, so it uh, never really did it for me, but uh, the rest of the set was just absolutely spot on.
1: I, I love I love when a band so famous does, does a cover, when, when I went to see Don Henley at the Marquee, he did a brilliant, brilliant cover of uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Tears for Fears.
6: Yeah, that, that was. I imagine that's one which the Pet Shop Boys could cover very well as well. You know. Oh, so, very well, uh,
1: yeah.
6: The music of that, but yeah, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and the back, the the backing musicians were spot on. They said, I did have one slight criticism. Oh, and here right, we go. Go fantastic. on. <laughs> due to the uh, fantastic graphic setup with the. Uh, Retractable video wall, etc. It's all very, very high tech. Looks absolutely wonderful. Um, but uh, for most of the set, the band were actually hidden away behind that. Ah, okay. Graphics were prominent all we over the two. Maybe guys, they were
1: taking oxygen or something. But a great gig, all the same. <laughs> thanks a million for the call. Great gig, all the same. Cheers, Ian. No thank you, thank okay. you very much. Thanks. New 10 is on the way. <laughs> I'm Rory.
7: And I'm Valerie, and you can join
8: us for the very best in local, national, and international sport every weekend on the Big Red
2: Bench. That's the Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now.
1: 086-8104-106. Red FM. And let's go to our phone lines now. Uh, First of all, let's, uh, just to wrap up the topic, uh, uh, give you some texts uh, on uh, 0868104106 on John. Very disappointing hearing that man's story about his mother's medical care. I'm a healthcare worker in Cork City. We have access to uh, interpreters for the deaf community 24-7. And frequently use that service. I've also learned some basic signing skills myself in my own time to support me in my job. Do your research. Uh, Hospitals have access to translators for any language, including for deaf people. A deaf person can be communicated through with written methods. So, care-based methods are not only verbal; non-verbal cues are also observed. Have you researched how much has been spent on translators or sign language last year by hospitals? Before you say it's not used or people don't get proper care, as you stated, uh, no, we didn't research it in any great detail. We took a call from somebody who had to leave his job because uh, there was no adequate translator uh, in 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 sign language. That is uh, to communicate with his deaf mute grandmother, whom he's now minding. Now to line two and to uh, Jerry Bottomer, a member of the Oireachtas Transport Committee. Jerry. good morning.
0: Good morning Michael and Mick, how are you this
1: morning? Very good. On a lighter note, before we start off, any Cork slang that uh, you would uh, have grown up with and are very fond of from, from well, your youth? I, I was going
0: to start by saying that I'm weak for Cork Airport. How's that? <laughs> I'm <laughs> weak, bye. <laughs> Alright, uh, right. uh, one of my favourite ones actually, and I love doing it, is Air er, I Will Yeah and I, you know, as a former school teacher, it was one that I always loved hearing was, or, you know, I think the Cork slang, and you said it very well there, you, you can do with two or three words, you can have everything about somebody and, and it's, it's brilliant and it's always great when you go abroad and you meet people from Cork in places like America or Boston or wherever and the Cork accent and, and the pitch and the tone of our voices lifts and the lilt uh, and it's brilliant and we are lucky being from Cork that we have a wonderful accent we've wonderful people and we have a great way of communicating and it's you know like I'm allergic or I'm weak or as you said you know the other ones that you had this morning they were kind of good as well in terms of you know I one of my favorite ones is sketch I still love that you word sketch you know and I still have happy memories of being a school or being or sketch? Uh, sketch as in there's someone coming you know sketch sketch okay you
1: know, <laughs> no I'm, I'm just I'm just thinking I was trying to remember the th- three things with Rory uh, and it's a greeting. You can give a Corkman a greeting anywhere a cork woman a greeting anywhere you go it, it's probably a male thing I suppose because of one of the words but you can give them a greeting you can comment on their social status and you can ask them what's going on with story Sam
0: Sam are, fine, yeah. Who are you
1: going, yeah uh, this, this, this is another one I love and, and this goes back to um, uh, my late and great dear friend uh, Frank O'Brien we were walking down McCurdon Street one day and he saw two people coming towards him that he didn't want to meet and he said oh god <laughs> Mul, no there's a right couple of handy dockets Anyway, Jerry, to things more serious, you're a member of the uh, Iraqis Transport Committee. You have to laugh, though, and we are from Cork, and it is special, and it is unique. Uh, On on a talk about their meeting in Cork Airport on Monday, uh, the airport has announced yesterday an extending of routes. Uh, Should uh, we be demanding more routes from Cork to take the pressure off Dublin Airport, do you think?
0: Well, I think the answer is Yes. Uh, and in in the fairness to Cork Airport, they have a dedicated aviation business development team, uh, and they're doing a huge amount of work. And as you know, and as your listeners will know, airlines make decisions based upon uh, the commercial basis whether they have sufficient demand, the viability to route, the yield, and the potential passenger usage. Uh, and for me, it's and I think if we look at what happened not just in Dublin Airport making in recent times, but what's happening in the world aviation. Uh, we must put in place a recovery scheme for aviation that takes on board the importance of airports like Cork. Uh, And then that means three things for me. One is that government must intervene in terms of its aviation policy and and realign... Insofar as they can, passenger numbers out of the main airport, Dublin. Then, secondly, the Regional Airport Development Fund, which this year for the first time uh, was able to be used by Cork Airport in the context of the capital funding, which was used in Cork's case about you know electrical substation uh, and and we've seen the new runway in there. So I think that the the funding under the Regional Airports Programme must be retained for airports like Cork to allow. Cork Airport to be able to compete and I recognise and I hope people understand that we'll never be like Dublin or Manchester or or, or Heathrow but we can have an airport that is very successful that will build upon the growth that it has by being able to attract airlines to use Cork mm. uh, so I believe some of
1: the major American airlines have written to the DAA uh, saying that uh, maybe the, the pre-clearance might be in, in danger now because of, uh, of the overcrowding there Cork as a pre-clearance area for certain areas of the east coast of America might be an option but that, that aside uh, the DAA patently can't run their own show in Dublin why should they be in charge
0: of Cork as well Well, I think for a number of reasons, Cork have benefited from being part of the DEA, and we've seen how Cork Airport is able to compete uh, in terms of its growth of its passenger numbers, you know, from 2.7 million to 2.5 million that period before COVID and since COVID, we've seen Cork rebound better than Shannon. Um, And and historically, Cork has always been competitive. Uh, And and there is a piece of work for the, the aviation regulation car in terms of its determinations around You know charges in terms of Cork versus other places, but I think from from a Cork perspective, we've we've done well under the DA. We've seen investment. uh, We've seen our own you know operations at the airport, whether it's security, whether it's staffing, whether it's baggage, is quite good. Um, And and that's that that is under the DA umbrella. Remember, Uh so Cork with its own aviation business development team is working quite well. What we need to see happen also now is to have a member, and it's not about just Cork, you know, it's it's a member on the board of Dublin Airport Authority from Cork, we're talking about a region here. And under Ireland 2040, Cork is is, is that second place as the counterfoil to Dublin. So we must make sure that in in terms of the management and the structure of the, uh, that Cork Airport, not Cork Airport, but Cork the region, uh, has a voice at the table, Mm. uh, and it's important that we do that. I, I, I don't subscribe and I, I've come on a journey myself to make around the, the use of Cork in terms of the being part of the I think Cork has benefited from being part of the DEA. I think we've done quite well. We've seen investment in the in the runway, in, in the terminal building, in different pieces of it there. So I, I think what we must do like, for example, let me give you an example. Dublin Airport has given, in terms of investment, 40 million to Cork Airport in terms of the last number of years over baggage systems, runway, electros, electrical substations. So without that, Cork airport would be debt laden and we would be struggling. So Cork independently and without that source of income like Shannon has would not be able to do that kind of investment. And we must remember that. But what we can do is we can leave our influence. And we have the Taoiseach, the Minister of Public Expenditure Reform and the Minister of Foreign Affairs in our city, in government at the moment. We can leave our government to take away some of the aviation transport from Dublin, to Cork and, and that's what we must press upon but also then make like we can't just dismiss the airlines like Aer Lingus, post-pandemic with Emerald haven't yet come back to the table in my opinion to make strong responses to Cork in terms of where they can fly out of, in terms of, sorry, what I'm saying is the Aer Lingus haven't come to the table to give us better options for flying out of Cork yet, <laughs> and that needs okay. to be put to them as well.
1: I, I once asked Pat Dawson in his capacity as head of the uh, IATA, the Irish Airline uh, Travel Association, well, uh, Irish Association of Travel Agents, um, could he honestly answer if more people were leaving for business or, uh, and pleasure? from what we loosely call Terminal 3, Patrick's Key, or from Cork Airport. And he said, I honestly couldn't. So there was a policy of feeding into Dublin to keep their long-haul flights full. Uh, if we're to counter that policy, or if they need us to take some of the pressure off to be more generous to them, uh, then we're going to need proper connectivity with the big hubs of Europe. And those are Paris, Char- Charles de Gaulle, uh, which there's not bad connectivity to. Uh, now we've KLM and Aer is flying into uh, Schiphol in uh, in Amsterdam. Yeah. So that's not bad. But we're going to need something regular to Frankfurt. Uh, and we're going to need something regular to Istanbul. Istanbul Airport is one of the nicest and most modern in the world now. And it's uh, serving as a huge hub as well. We've no connectivity there directly, I don't think, anyway.
0: No, and, and, and again, you, you, you've hit it in the nail and, and we have good connectivity to the, to the two of the airports you spoke to, but in Frankfurt Han is one we should certainly be pushing as well and, and I, 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 I haven't given consideration personally to the Istanbul one and I have used the airport as as a hub airport flying to other places as part of my role with the OSCE but you are right, it is about connectivity it, it is about, you know, not just the dominance of Dublin in the aviation industry but it's about encouraging passengers to come out uh, to, to to come out and use Cork. And for example, like we, we have Frankfurt in Cork, as you know, um, as well. And I think to be fair to Cork Airport, Mick, they, they have been very proactive in terms of the business development plan Uh, and and Lufthansa is a new you know acquisition with Frankfurt we've seen Welling uh, which are a new player in the market I I would hope we can get more of Welling in Cork. Uh, Ryanair yesterday we had 35 years with Cork airport but for me we have to look at the whole of Cork airport And, and, and I keep going back to this you know we have two point 0.7 zero seven million to 2.59 million passengers in a four-year period. Post-pandemic, it's taken off again. And yes, we, we, we would all like to see more passengers using Cork Airport, more flights out of Cork Airport, but that's down to airlines as well. Um, and it's also done about the aviation policy of government. And that's why I've asked, and I, I know on Monday we have the, the transport committee coming to Cork Airport as part of our series of engagements. To, to speak to the airport about how we can help assist in route development and route retention uh, and that's an important point that as I said and I keep coming back to this point Mick the, the regional airport funding was is, is pivotal for airports like Cork now to allow us in, 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 in emerging from Covid to be able to deliver uh, on, on, on not just the capital projects but on the whole issue of ru- of root development and retention—that's something we need to encourage. And then the other part that I would like to see happening from government perspective is that the tourism bodies would look at with with, with transport department how we can boost Cork. And uh, and you made a good point there about the hub. We're, in aviation, we're moving towards a hub model, so Dublin is that hub for parts of Europe to go east and west. Similarly, we must see how we can in a short hallway have cork as that access point to go to frankfurt or to go to the as you said and then if the istanbul piece can work, then it's all the better and, and i know certainly that from the when we had norwegian it was it was reasonably successful and i would hope that we can encourage the development of that linkage again that connectivity with usa yeah
1: and of course istanbul wouldn't have to be every day people would gravitate towards cork if there was maybe twice or three times a week on that subject though in norwegian what about transatlantic flights will they come back to cork
0: well, I I certainly hope they will. I I I I'm not privy to the intricacies of what Cork Airport are doing in terms of its 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 daily activity with airlines, but as you know, um, and, and this week we've seen with American Airlines making different calls and 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 JetBlue in the states, there's the, and Delta. There, there is an issue with, with aviation globally, um, and and that's something that we have to see how it pans out. But I would hope, Mick, that we could see something like a New York or, or some type of a Boston, like maybe not TF Green this time, but Logan uh, being returned, because there is an appetite for it. We saw with the Norwegian that there was an appetite by the travelling public to, to use it. Um, for me, it's about ensuring that Cork Airport can compete, uh, and, and, and based upon the demand that we have seen, the short-haul routes of Europe have been quite successful. But I keep stressing, like, you know, the airlines are about economy about making money and and they're not going to you know set up a route and suddenly discover it's it's, there's no demand it's not viable and then just close it down as you know Mm -hmm. so we have 40 routes to the Cork airport with 8 airlines um, and we hope that that can be increased from a, from a Cork perspective. But I have to say, Mick, and I, I know you probably would say, I will say this, but we are very well served by our, our, our team in Cork Airport with Niall McCarthy and Aurora Driscoll, the acting manager, and the, and the business development team there who are doing a Trojan work. And I think the customer experience by and large at Cork Airport is absolutely brilliant uh, by comparison to other airports of, of its size. And I, and I think we should give them credit. But what we must do collectively is to boost capacity, is to increase the offering but also to encourage people from from portly down, from Thurles, from waterford from kerry to come to Cork rather than going to other airports because it makes no sense as you said in, in the context of 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 you know people traveling to dublin and, and i know you made the point about going up the keys and up to dublin but i i would certainly hope that from a Cork perspective that as part of the review of our national aviation policy uh, we can see a, a changing but that change can only happen with government and with airlines working together to, to, and, and the DEA and, and the regulator. So I'm, I'm positively optimistic about Cork Airport, but I, at the same time I will encourage people um, that we need to use our airport ourselves and encourage and have a strong marketing campaign around it.
1: Okay, now I'm, I'm not sure if we're geographically bound by the location of Cork Airport, but why didn't we extend the runway and widen it to allow wide-body aircraft, or is there even a, a market appetite for that level of size of airplane?
0: Well, well, I'm told by the powers that be that the whole issue of, of the size of aircrafts is changing and the, and the different air, aircraft now transatlantic can land in Cork because I suppose the, with, with the whole issue of, of, of energy and climate change air, air, airlines are changing the size of their planes and, and, and I'm told that the, the plane that would be new, for example for a, a transatlantic and we've seen it with Norwegian can land in Cork and can take off from Cork so I, I don't think that's an issue at the moment um, and, and I suppose that argument was well documented over time and we're not going to change, we're not going to move the airport now, mm. anyway. So, but I'm told that the, the type of plane being used now has, has changed, and and that it, the Cork Airport is, it, runway is well able to manage the type of plane that would be needed and used in this situation. It, please, God, if we get back to the transatlantic.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure the grounding of the 737 Max uh, had something to do with the. Uh, the cessation of flights from uh, from Norway. Yes. Uh, and I yes. do concur with your point, Jerry, that uh, we are being well served now by the, the management and by the uh, the staff, the ground staff and the security at Cork Airport. It's always a friendly experience going through, uh, and that's a long way from once on this program. Uh, I I once had to call Cork Airport a destination desert. Uh, to get a spokesperson to come on the air and then we had a right ding dong about it but uh, uh, that's not the case now Ryanair have announced 22 routes going to be running from Cork airport this winter six of their popular summer spots being extended the budget airline is the largest operator from the airport of course three airplanes and have launched a seat sale lasting until friday to celebrate their 35 years
0: there so well done to them as well the future for Cork airport is it bright do you think jerry I think it's positive. Like, I, I, you know, going back to your transatlantic piece, like the planes, you know, that we would need for the east coast can use cork. It's about encouraging airlines. And I suppose Mick, we're we're in the middle of a war in Ukraine, which has had a profound impact on on travel for a for a part of the year. We've an energy crisis. Uh, we've climate action. Um, And and they're all part of a a moving piece of a jigsaw in aviation. But there is pent-up demand, as we see now, post-COVID, far travel. Uh, And what we must do now collectively uh, is, from a a government perspective, is to try and and, and reflect in our aviation policy that we have more than one airport. uh, And Dublin Airport has a huge offering. Um, and, And there's part of it that we can't change in terms of its hub piece around, you know, east-west as being that destination for people as, as to transit on but what we can encourage is is airlines to come and use cork through airport charges and through in- incentives like government have given already to the airports and i would hope that as part of our review that we can accentuate the need for our regional airports to be supported more and and i'm unapologetic in in, in supporting cork airport um historically as you said we've had issues but now we have a very robust strong team running the airport with a wonderful staff uh, and the experience of customers and passengers is quite good and what we must do now is to ins- ensure that we can, you know, promote and encourage airlines to come and say, well look, we can use Cork Airport as that hub destination, as that airport as, uh, on, on a point of connectivity elsewhere as well, so that's part of what we must try and all do.
1: Okay. Uh, not, not to be too unkind to Dublin Airport, but it has to be said, Jerry, Terminal 1 at Dublin Airport is an absolute kip.
0: Well, it, it's it's not as <laughs> as as image friendly as Cork is, uh, but look to be fair to the staff in Dublin Airport and to the management, they're doing their best, and 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 I think you know, they're, they're, if, I'm not trying to defend the indefensible here, but if you look at Heathrow Airport, Gatwick, look at what happened in, in, in last weekend It was a holiday weekend in America, there was chaos in airports, and and it's happening all over the world. Um, what we must do is, is to ensure that. Yes, you are right, the offering is customer friendly and nobody nobody wants to see what happened in Dublin Airport a, a number of weeks ago. It's unacceptable. Um, but I think to be fair, we, we were out at the, as a committee with Dublin Airport, we met them, we had them in the committee. Uh, it has improved. Um, Again, Mick. Part of the difficulty is airlines too were cutting staff as well, and they haven't had, you know, they had issues that weekend about the drop and drop and collect and different things with baggage handlers and so on. So, look. It's 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 something that we have to get right uh, because it is as you as you will say it is the offering that comes in when you're arriving Ireland and your bags are, are missing. It's not a great start or your flight is cancelled or delayed. It, it, it looks and sounds off and then and, and then the experience of, of having to queue like what happened that weekend in <laughs> Dublin. Like if that was you and me, we was I, I would be so stressed and frustrated. I would be really unhappy. Um, and that's why I think it's important that, as you said, that airports come on programmes like yours and are able to take questions from, from listeners and travelling public. Well we have equally, one for,
1: for you Jerry. very quickly. Yes. Uh, it's not a difficult one I'm not sure if you can answer it. Uh, Anne, good morning.
6: Hi Mick, yeah I, I, we used to fly to uh, Bristol we were going over to our daughter and son-in-law in uh, Devon OK. okay. Now Stobart used to fly aerlingus flight, but that they took that flight off be- during the COVID, and there's no replacement. We had to go to Dublin in May mm. for our, our grandson's wedding, and you know it's
7: crazy.
1: Okay, crazy. Uh, that, that that would seem like a viable route if if Emerald as Stobart has become were to bring it back, wouldn't it, Jerry? Thanks, if Anne it would and I yeah. made that point, Mick. Yes, Jerry, go on. You there Jerry sorry sorry Jerry we lost you there for a second carry on oh, we seem to have lost Jerry now as well uh, okay uh, well, let's leave it there shall we and uh, we'll come back to it at another time but to finish up uh, this segment on Cork Slang I had a lovely little uh, Mail in from JP in Fitzy's Bar. Wonderful bar, wonderful service, wonderful staff in Crosshaven. A guy called Ian Armstrong, he says, has a cork version of Scrabble. Check it out. It's very good. Maybe we should put this up on our social media. It's called corkable. It's not called Scrabble, it's called corkable. Let me read out the, uh, the words that are on here, okay? Langball, Nari, Flair, Lasher, Fiend, Decent, D-A-Y-C-E-N-T. Of course, Langer's going to be in there. Raza. Uh, or Raza. Uh, Bazar. Haircut. Gatch. Hopper. Dope. Banjaxt. Gooza. Uh, gawk. Spoofer. Affont. That's a kick up the uh, behind. Haunted. And very, very many more. Uh, so best of luck with that to Ian Armstrong. It's called Cork uh, I'm not sure if it's a game or just a bit of a spoof, but it's there anyway. Uh, and a couple more we came across. uh Fake. Uh, I once had, uh, an, uh, not an argument, but a discussion uh, with Liam Heffernan. Remember, he used to be Blackie Connors in Row about uh, the words uh, "doll" fake. Uh, uh, is it uh, "doll" for fool and fake for forgery, a, fool, a fool's forgery? Uh, and he contended, no, the Irish is "gaw" fake, that you'd have to have two looks at something. Uh, that it was a, 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 a golf fake, really. A doll fake is, is a, a counterfeit. He's after doll faking an ID to get served. And you would know, often heard. my dad was often uh, doing carpentry, and he said, oh, we'll have to doll fake that. Uh, the other one was, I'm fled out from work. I remember Neil uh, Tobin using that uh, to great extent. That means I'm exhausted. I'm fled out from working so much. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. And good morning from the Neil Penleville Show with Mick Mulcahy. These six routes, by the way, that'll be extended from the summer from Ryanair are Milan, Bergamo, Bordeaux, Venice, Pisa, uh, Valencia and uh, Faro. They'll be running twice weekly, except Faro, which will run four times to the Algarve in Portugal. They also recently announced two uh, new twice weekly winter routes going to Rome and Newcastle. That season from Cork starts from October and will run through until March 2023 in total. He, uh, they say there'll be 119 weekly flights through the period. And there's been a growing call for the government to refocus national aviation policy on Cork Airport so that it can work in tandem with Dublin Airport. The CEO of Cork Chamber, Connor Healy, says they're concerned about the dominance of Dublin Airport on Ireland's aviation industry. In recent weeks, thousands of passengers travelling through Dublin Airport have experienced long delays and queues, with many thousands missing their flights due to staff shortages. This has led to calls for routes to be transferred to the regional airport's in order to ease the pressure on Dublin, one person very much against that is Reggie from the Black Rock Road. And I would encourage you to find that uh, item uh, on YouTube or wherever. Uh, and uh, bringing more people from up the country down to Cork Airport, you will in your hole, he says. Uh, speaking to Red M News though, Cork Chambers' Connor Healy says it's a huge opportunity for Cork Airport. And I quote him here, there's an opportunity now to refocus our national policy in terms of aviation. Dublin Airport is as really important and really important airport for the country. A major hub and a global airport, but has become too predominant in the context of Irish aviation. And that's not necessarily good for the economy as a whole. If you look at Cork Airport, where we have significant capacity available, a relatively new airport with infrastructure in place, many routes and many of those airlines could in fact have operations operating out of Cork as well as Dublin. And a texter wants to take me to task for not being challenging enough to Jerry Butimer, Uh, the paltry amount they say of people going through the airport is not good enough. 2.5 million people versus 33 million people in Dublin. How is that acceptable? There was 3.2 million people went through uh, Cork Airport uh, in 2008 and it's gone backwards since, so says P. I'm always interested in travel and uh, and airport issues, so if you've got anything to uh, relay, please do so on 0818 104 or by text on 086 Uh, And one final topic on travel for now. People don't have to travel for a full week, says Anne. Therefore, they could travel more often out of Cork to city breaks, like three or four nights. What about in the autumn to Rome or Venice or Faro and keep our planes full in Cork? To be honest, the travel agents could also do more advertising and make people aware as well. To line one and Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Hi. Now we're back to the hospital issues and unfortunately... Uh, you lost your aunt uh, almost 4 weeks ago so our sympathies on that
9: thanks very much um yeah we um my aunt christine um she was she had down syndrome um and she lived a fantastic life um she loved life loved parties everything um but unfortunately in December 2020, she was out um, actually visiting her brother and family before Christmas and um, like that. It was lockdown, I think. Well, I don't know about lockdown, but anyway, there was restrictions, so you won't be going out dining. So they had her down for a bite to eat and a few drinks and she came home that night and she vomited. Um, And that was the first, the start of Christine's illness. Um, We thought it was just kind of once off, you know, after heavy food and a few drinks and whatever and um, so obviously there was all lockdowns you couldn't get a doctor's appointment nothing for a long time um and we let it go and it, it was very um what was what's the word there was no um sorry no I can't empathy think. no um do you know, like it was—it wasn't consistent. It was very random when she was getting sick, so we couldn't put it down to anything. Oh, sorry, I—I um, thought you specific, were talking. about you know? yeah. yeah, okay, I—I I
1: have you now. So, yeah,
9: yeah so what, what she
1: misdiagnosed? Time, you, you were saying. Well,
9: by the time I brought her to the GP was um, April of twenty-one, and then he obviously referred her straight away because Christine would be relatively be relatively well normally. So, obviously, this wasn't normal for her. Um, and we got an appointment, I think it was for May 21 in the mercy, and that was cancelled. Um, You're in the midst so of the like,
1: pandemic now, of course, as well.
9: Yeah, so we were like, fair enough, look, um, obviously because of COVID and it got uh, rescheduled, I think, for August. The day before her appointment in August, I got a call to say the appointment was cancelled. So obviously she's getting sick now nearly eight months at this stage. So I was like, no, look, she needs the appointment. So I understand you can't stay, but I need a new appointment now. You know, I'm not coming off the phone without an appointment. So she, she was like, look, I can't give you one. You'll have to ring out patients, rang out patients. They were like, no, I have to be at the secretary, was back on to the secretary. So back and forth between the jigs and the reels, I got back on and she said, look, you can keep the appointment for tomorrow. So we went in in August and we met with an understudy, and um, they, I said, they were like, gave the ins and out. She was losing weight at this stage, vomiting quite a lot. Um, I, I suppose, like between her bone and stuff, it would be look. Sometimes she would be incontinent, the odd occasion, you know, and um, but very rare. So. Um, we obviously you write all that down before you go in and meet the doctor and when we went in he's like, Um what what do you think? And I like I'd say, She needs the camera, you know, there's something going on like she's obviously not well and No, she won't tolerate the camera and I was like, What do you mean, like and they're like, No, she won't tolerate it and I was like, well, sure, like if it was me or you that's what would be done, so why can't she no. They just kept saying she won't tolerate it. So um, he went out of the room and spoke with his consultant and came back about 20 minutes and was like, no, yeah, um, we're just going to send her off. They gave a prescription for um, suspected ulcer. This is without doing any tests now, Uh, like nothing. Um, Suspected ulcer and um, helicobacter, you know, that bacterial thing in the stomach. Now, again, if that was me or you, you'd be breath tested before you're given a prescription for that. Uh, so we went off, gave her the medication for that. Obviously, there was still no difference. Um, eventually, we went back in another consulting meeting, a different one this time, another understudy Okay, let's not mention any her names
1: heart. here
9: now, please. No, no, no uh, names. Mm. Um, and at this stage, actually, there was once she vomited blood. So this in September, there was one stage vomited blood. Again, a big weight loss again within these few weeks. Um, so if I had like I was literally shouting in there saying like she needs a camera and blah blah, And uh, so they agreed to do a barium test and um, a tap test. So brought her in for that, she got the barium test done. She like if you knew Christina, she she was so like nervous of things and never spent time away from family overnight or anything and like, she actually would make a fool out of us then, in there, you know, I was like, sure, she was brilliant in whatever getting yeah. it done, but the the, peop- the um, people in ultrasound and doing the barium test were incredible in the mercy, I have to say that, I'm very understanding where the situation, and with her and everything, because this is her first time ever getting anything like that done, um, and they put down their grievances about her, that she should be under sedation, uh, you know, because they kept saying, oh, she can't be sedated, and, um, that she should be, and like... That pardon my ignorance on this, ex-
1: but... Sorry, yeah. pardon my ignorance on this issue, but uh, is that because she had Down syndrome, or what?
9: Yeah, Definitely, because there was an underlying condition, 100%, okay. um, which I don't understand, because, like, uh, she had epilepsy um, and was on medication for that, but didn't get seizures in a long, long time. But other than that, Christine, for someone with Down syndrome, was absolutely... Like, we were so lucky with how healthy she is, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and like the fact she was kind of literally fading away in front of us. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You have to take the chance, you know, and we said that to them, like, yeah. she's obviously not well. We're not people to be running to doctors or hospitals and stuff. We knew she was very unwell. So this has um, been a
1: very stressful and traumatic time for you.
9: So traumatic because now we're And in
1: you're still road. without a diagnosis?
9: No, we have diagnosis, but she's out in Kilcully.
1: Okay, what That's happened? Ven- she eventually, she collapsed. So, at home.
9: eventually, uh, we were off in down to like if I had a, like a record of the amount of phone calls, like saying she needed to go in more. They'd done tests, um, they diagnosed her, misdiagnosed her with a different condition. Um, so, they were treating her for that. But in the meantime, she kept like deteriorating. There was never any improvement. Uh, she went in and out a few times, admitted. We were never ever left to stay with her. Now, this is someone with two intellectual disabilities, well, an intellectual disability, and she also had a diagnosis of dementia. And there was no one left to stay overnight with her.
1: So now, you're fearing I she's totally, going to be in a very, very lonely place.
9: We totally understand and understood with COVID and everything. And we said, like, look, if someone could be tested one day, we might be left in to visit her for 10 minutes we'd have to ring daily the next day then who uh, depended who you got on the phone would say oh no no visitors today then the next day you could be left in like I remember one day her sister went down and she was left into the ward for a bit and the next day I went down and I went to walk in the way we would and whatever and uh, I had to sit out on the corridor and Christine like Christine had an ID so she was like, how one day someone's left in and the next day you're not. I was out on the corridor cutting her nails, like, doing, they didn't wash her, I had to ask for her to be washed, she wasn't washed since she was admitted, you know, um, and, and, like, this is not blame on anyone in particular, like, I think all the doctors, nurses, like, they're all doing their best, but, like, there's, there needs to be something and done, because, like, my own mother was sick years ago, and she was in the mercy, the treatment that Christine got, to what she got is, it, it's hard words. Um. So anyway, between the jigs and the reels, she was just deteriorating all the time. Was going in for these procedures. No, um, there was never any improvement, and she was here in I'm going to say March. And in the meantime, now she's. I, I we were up and down to AE about three times, and we were always sent away. She was just put on a trip for dehydration. Her bloods were coming back normal, and um, she had a uh, ultrasound. We were in A in January, and um, I got sent away. They were like, No, she's fine. And I literally started crying um, to the doctors that day, and I was like, something further needs to be done. And she what was was like, what, ev- you want.
1: what was the eventual diagnosis?
9: In the end,
1: mm.
9: ovarian cancer.
1: In the end? So, how yeah. how so stark she statement that is.
9: With ovarian cancer on um, April the 1st, and she died on May the 19th.
1: What's that, six weeks? Six weeks. Wow. She was,
9: and even at that, at, at her diagnosis... We had no staging scans, no biopsies, like nothing. Um, I actually got the diagnosis from my GP over the phone because I knew there was something wrong. She went in, she collapsed at home, and um, she went in by ambulance. And they kept her in, I think, that time for about 10 days. And at this stage, she actually went under a different doctor. um, And... He obviously investigated a bit more, sent her home. She came home Patrick's day, I remember, picked her up. And they said, come back um, for a follow-up pelvic ultrasound. And which which, could, have, which was,
1: could have been done a year previous.
9: What, what, yeah, but she had a, an ultrasound done in um, January. And I was, was sent back to um, the A&E for the results, you know, the way you're to go back over after the scan. And there was no doctor to give us the results. So a guy came out and said, look, head away and we'll ring you if there's anything or you can come back because the doctor was stuck in teacher. I got a phone call that day to say the scan was fine. So how in January of this year did she get an ultrasound that they said was fine? And on April 1st, she was stage four ovarian cancer, like spread places we probably still
1: don't know yeah, sure and I know you're not apportioning blame to anyone in particular but and, no, uh,
9: not, I, And I, this,
1: I, I, on this programme we've heard many stories especially during the pandemic of uh, people who have been denied access to their loved ones whose loved ones passed away in what would seem like a very lonely situation with no one to hold their hand except maybe one of the medical staff or whatever uh, but this is a system failure really what you're saying oh, is 100%
9: she, she had that I'm pelvic scan sure. in I'm January
1: of Cancer on the 1st of April something was missed
9: anyone in particular it like i'm just like in general even like we were her advocates were her voice and it's the same way people previously and like she couldn't speak like fully for herself you know christine was very vocal and able but like there's something she couldn't express or like they would say is she in pain she couldn't tell her level of pain you know and and Christine was conditioned. Like, Christine was 52, so it's different to people born with IDs and stuff now. Like, they were nearly condi- conditioned and told, oh, you're okay, you know? So if she went to even down to her own GP, uh, even as sick as she was in the last few weeks of her life, he'd say, Christine, how are you? I'm grand, Yeah. you know? Like,
1: it's only been four weeks, Michelle, since since you lost Christine. And you can obviously, and I think the listeners will hear, the absolute love you had for her. Uh, your
9: aunt it, like yeah. she's a you she came from a big family, like seven brothers, four sisters like countless nieces, nephews, grandnieces, and everyone loved her friends so much it's a massive loss but my I'm so upset and angry because i I feel i everyone's telling us we've done everything we could, but why weren't we listening to what yep. you know and' is, how many more is this happening to?
1: Yeah, that's the only solace you can take, really, There's is that you actually did like everything you could do that. to to get her diagnosed yeah, properly. And the system, it seems, um, failed your aunt, Christine.
9: Yeah, 100%. And, like, it's as I said, it's not just one person. The whole, like, I think the Mercy Hospital is a disgrace. Like, well, the Mercy Hospital not,
1: does great work as well. You know, let, let's not apportion blame directly to I any one institution is, or person here. But
9: there's there's massive failings going on by the amount of phone calls you're getting about
1: them. Yeah, well, you know, everyone is everyone and, is is going to ring here with with their own particular ev- and every situation is different. But look, you you have to, and I have to admit that there must be a systemic failure in the system, uh, a massive but failure. It's
9: not even like, and it's not. I, I actually, I'm wrong. you're knocking, it's not actually just the mercy. You're knocking on the door for, for a
1: medical diagnosis for a year and a half. ADHD and, and, and you, actually. When you finally get it, she survives six weeks, and, and it's ovarian cancer stage four when you finally get it. Uh, something the, not
9: right this, there. What's not right either is when she did get the diagnosis, um, she wasn't well enough to go down to, like, we couldn't bring her down. She was so sick at the yeah. time, We were, and we went down, and they were like, oh, we're meeting you out of courtesy, basically, that they didn't. Um, need to be speaking to us that she should be there. And we were like, look, she's not well enough. And they're like, oh, you'd have to bring her down. Uh, she needs palliative procedures. And like at that stage, we had no face in the hospital and we didn't want her going back in and to be in there on her own like she was many times before, you know, sitting in a seat, no interaction. Like, Christine needed stimulation, you know? Yes,
1: yeah. Uh, um, as, as Down syndrome people do. Did, did you keep, Did you keep her at home until the end?
9: We did, thankfully, and it look, at the end, it turned out lovely. And, she, like, we had um, amazing nurses from Marymount, and in the end, the, the Mercy, look, did do palliative procedures, and they were very good, but how did it come to a stage four diagnosis of someone dying for us to be left in with her? She got her own private room, couldn't have been cared for better, uh, while she got the palliative procedures and then in the meantime while we were in there we met another family um, a guy with Down syndrome and um, any time he went in, no matter what and he would have been in a bit he was always left a family member so how is one person allowed and one isn't? Yeah. You know?
1: I, I know uh, her passing like is, is, I mean, is recent, it's raw, you, you can tell how much you've loved her but there are questions that need to be answered as to you know, equality of treatment or fairness in the system here uh, for your late Aunt Christine.
9: You know, and I just feel like we're their advocates, their voices, and if we're not being listened to, sure, what, where would you go from there? Yeah,
1: I, I, I get it. Michelle, thanks very much. I'm out of time, but thank you so much for,
9: okay. for displaying
1: thanks. the love so eloquently for, for your late Aunt Christine. Uh, and once again, our sympathies on her passing. That's all Thanks we can so say, much. really, and uh, yeah. I, I hope you do get some answers in, in, the, in the course of time as to why certain things didn't or weren't or could not be performed uh, in, in the progression of her diagnosis, but uh, it seems to me the system has certainly failed your aunt, uh, and may she rest in peace. Thanks, Michelle.
9: Thanks so much. Thank Thanks. you.
1: Text the
2: Neil Prenderville Show now, 86
1: RED-FM. 7 minutes to 11, John O'Donovan is online too. Good morning, John. Morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. Nice to talk with you again. It's, uh, it's, it's been a while. Uh, the bishop is yeah. out of touch with reality, you say. We were talking yesterday about the Eucharistic procession being cancelled for the first time. Yeah. Well, I know there's been cancellations with the pandemic, but this is the first time it could have went on and didn't go on.
10: Well, when uh, Fenton Gavin came in to be the new bishop, Mick, the first thing he did was abolish the Corpus Christi procession, right, before any pandemic came in. And his reason was, he said that the commercialisation of Cork City, Sintanao on Sundays did not give reverence to the blessed the, the, sacrament the going through the streets uh, plus the mass and dance square. Well, he'd he want to read up the history of it because actually going back 94 years ago, mate, it was the business people of Cork after the Civil War because there was a, 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 it was a very raw at the time society. It was split down in the middle. There was a lot of business there. And the city uh, business people at the time approached the said bishop at the time and asked him would they consider bringing the sacrament and have the Mass underground parade because they felt it might be some somewhere towards a healing process at the time, such was the business in the city at the time because there was a fierce world the city, as you know. there was split open with the Civil War and there was a lot of bad feeling on both sides. So that that's the history lesson on that. No, it's the first thing he did, as I said, for to abolish it. he consulted nobody, only the chosen few, as usual, because they never listened to the people anywhere, just like the politicians, but to actually stop it completely and to use the commercialization of the city was wrong. Also, uh, this idea they like, came I mean, about that society has changed. I mean, the amount of people, that, that before he stopped this, before he came in, the, the Filipinos marching it, the African people marching it, because they're all Christians. Now, the numbers obviously weren't there like what they were there in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, make right. But at the same time, all the other festivals around Europe, as that other very good caller the lady yesterday said, they're not stopping their possessions and their, and their beliefs. But the, the minute this man came in, without consulting anyone again, as I said, except the chosen few, he decided that he was going to scrap it. Then they came up with this ridiculous idea, they'd come over to Pope's key, and they'd march up on the road and continue on with, with their ceremony in the Cathedral, which is ridiculous. This, the, the specialist this argument and the altar in the Grand Trade, it should never have been stopped. The father Tom Here gave the impression yesterday, he said, that it, it will be back next year. Giving the impression to me, we will be going through the streets again and we'll have the altar back. And that is not going to happen. Is
1: it important to you, John, that it goes ahead again?
10: It is indeed, because, look, I'm sick and tired of seeing our, our uh, traditions being lost here, like, I mean, and trampled, and, like, I mean, I mean let's be honest, if you go to other countries, I mean, it's not happening, like... Yeah, sure, but w- 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 just,
1: would you believe the businesses open on Sunday in the city form any threat to the procession?
10: Not at all, whatsoever, like, I mean... Cause because they won't I survive mean,
1: without opening on Sunday, and I don't think they'd even close the, out of respect to the procession for one day.
10: Well, in fairness, no, like, I mean, I don't know, because, it's like, the last time they went through there, uh, in fairness, the pennies... They closed their doors while well, bless the blessed sacrament was passing by in films, and I actually went in. And I said as the manager, "After well done," and he was delighted. Now the point being again, as I said, there's two sets of people. make not listen at the moment to the people. One of the politicians, the other is the bishop. You have a situation, as you hand at the moment. There's a great priest, our Father Murphy, right? He's retiring. John, I'm, I'm going to have
1: to leave it here qu- very quickly because uh, time is against me for news. But uh, I do thank you for for getting in touch and for. Uh, your conviction in the faith and, f- and for wanting the procession yeah, to no come problem. back. Thanks for that. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. Thank you. Uh, thanks, bye-bye. And John speaks on radio enough to know that I'm not being rude there. It's just at, uh, time and tide, as they say, wait for no man. And I do like to be on time for news.
7: Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive.
2: 104 to 106 red FM this is the Neil Prendeville show
1: and a very good morning at seven and a half minutes almost past 11 on this Thursday morning let's go to line one and to Richard O'Brien hi Richard
3: uh, good morning uh, thanks for, uh good morning to the and thanks for having
1: me on you're more than welcome Richard you're a traveler that's correct yep and you're working on a report on the lack of traveler representation in churches what do you mean by that?
3: Well I suppose um, I started studying theology in Plastery in the Hire Institute in Dublin it's a Dominican college it's affiliated with TU Dublin um, I did it at first because I wanted to know more about my faith but then during my studies there I started to reflect on what I was doing and how I could help to marginalised
11: communities
3: and I suppose why I did this reflection is because the issues is close to heart if you don't mind Mick would I be able to tell you a story just to kind of you know to, to, to give you an idea of what I'm about Sure, please do no problem. So John Scaldi of the Pioneer Institute told us a story about some travellers who had pulled in at the side of the road in Roscommon. While the travellers were staying in the town, they started to attend the local parish mass. When this happened, the upper class decided that they would attend the mass in a different nearby parish church until the travellers had moved away. He was nine years old at the time and he said his grandfather was a true Christian because he didn't leave, he stayed and welcomed the travellers. He said, when I recall this memory, it really hits home in what Gandhi once asked if he would come back to be a Catholic. Gandhi replied, it was very talk-provoking. He said, I will become a Christian tomorrow if I actually ever had met one that lived as one. Gandhi's answer got me thinking about what it meant to be a Christian. All my life, I've seen members of the traveling community, young and old, not being involved in the parish, which always stood out as a bit unusual to me as travellers are predominantly Catholic. My daughter then highlighted this issue again to me when she started asking about traveller involvement in the church. She couldn't understand, cause she too is nine years old, how travellers weren't involved, even though she'd seen how strong and committed their faith was in their lives. I then started to ask travellers around the country the same questions, were they involved or ever involved in the parish? They all had the same sad stories and answers. This prompted me to write to all the bishops in Ireland and the Vatican, to see what the issues were and how they can be mended so that all parishes could strive together. I wrote many emails and letters highlighting the problem and the issues that our travellers face today in Irish society. I want to be clear that half my family is from the settled community and many of my friends today are from the settled community. They too found it strange how there was no travellers in, involved in the church considering their faith. And they pushed me forward with this project because it's the right thing to do. And as Martin Luther King would say, it, it, the time is always right to do what is right, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. That's the end of the story. That's, that's, that's a good story. Uh, is it safe to say that travellers, as, even as an ethnic minority, but travellers in, in their entirety uh, cling to the Catholic faith uh, more than other sections of society?
3: Um, Well, I I wouldn't say that, Mick. If if you're religious, you're religious. And, you know, if you practice your faith, you practice your faith. I, I wouldn't see no difference between the traveling community or the settled community. What I would see is maybe that the traveling community was religious people that didn't get the same opportunities as their brothers and sisters in the settled community. And I suppose we've tried changing laws about racism, but the fact is you can't legislate people's hearts. But through our religion and churches, we can change people's hearts and perceptions of travellers. No better place to start, mate. 95% of churches met up with lay people. Some who are true Christians very welcome. Mm. I mean, I, I'm I also involved in many groups here throughout Kerry. And uh, I've no doubt that they'll continue to support me nationally, not just in Cork Kerry, to get this off the ground. Because, um, you know, traveller faith is important to them. Um, and... I, I suppose I want to send a message to all the priests and Cork, if they're listening there today, to reach a hand out in friendship to the travelling community and welcome them in and ask them what they want to do beyond the parish council. Do they want to be a minister of the world, minister of the Eucharist? Offer that hand of friendship. If they say no no harm done, at least they'll know they were valued. And you know, they have to say, look, you can do it as good as everybody else if you want to, you
1: know? Mm. Now, you, you, you mentioned upper class people, so that your words not mine. I'm not casting aspersions on them. On class oh. distinctions, there you said upper class people moved to a different church to observe their faith until the travellers moved on. Uh, if you're not ex- uh, prepared to accept a Catholic worshipper as a Catholic wor- worshipper, isn't that the ultimate form of snobbery, and 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 goes against all the Catholic Church might teach?
3: Oh, of course it does, and I think that's why the the lecture of uh, John Scalioni himself, I suppose, you know, that's what he was emphasizing. And I suppose it, 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 what it does too, you know, it shows that racism did exist with inside uh, people going to the church because, obviously, the travellers had seen the settled community leaving in front of them. And I suppose travellers have uh, developed now uh, their own particular way of practising their faith because now they go to Holy Wells, and uh, they go on a lot of pilgrim- pilgrimages abroad. You probably see that highlighted in the media an awful lot. But the fact is, like, it's a shame that someone... Uh, doesn't feel welcome five minutes down the road to say a prayer and they have to go to the other side of the world, you know. Mm-hmm. I was speaking with TVG there in the meeting recently. We had a listening meeting for the side and of the bishops. And, you know, I, I, I felt sorry for them and I said, you know, I, I, it wouldn't be fair for me just to this and carry and forget about all the rest of the travellers. Because I seen in Cork that there was true faith there and they were sad and you know they, they want to be welcomed as well, and I I would ask the Bishop Vincent Gavin today to reach out to the people of Cork as well, and offer heat hand of friendship as well, and listen to them, and work with them because they will work with them. And um, also, it's very important as a society that we educate our children on racism, the whole words which can cause a serious mental health issue, as Paul Francis often says. Hey, the only time we should ever look down on someone is to pick them up.
1: Mm. I uh, heard a report on National Radio this morning, uh, which you, you might take exception to, but apparently one in five male adult travellers have been arrested in the last four years. It, you know, c- can you blame the non-travelling public for maybe being a little wary of the travelling community?
3: Well, Jerry, what I would say, you have bad and good in every community. It's Mick. <laughs> <laughs> like I've, man, been, I've been
1: called Neil, but never Gerry. Oh,
3: sorry, uh, Mick. But, um, do you know, like Mary Madeline, the first one went out in pick up the stone and throw it you know yeah. we, no community is perfect and one in five yes that may be the case but we look at the issues behind that travelers 89% of travelers don't want further education why is that some travelers are in schools and they don't have the full books they're handed the printed copies of that book not, so like we're not providing them with the basic accessories that they need so if we educate our people they will go further. I come from a well-educated family. One of my sisters is doing her PhD, another doing her master's. If travellers get the chance make, they'll mm. do it. And they will be in like any other minority. Look at America. Of course that's going to be there when they don't have the opportunities. Our suicide rate is seven times higher than the, than the, the average public.
1: And, uh, and, and the your life expectancy to, is lower. Of you're, you're- course,
3: yeah, that's correct, yeah.
1: Okay, but you're working, the the essence of this uh, call and the conversation is that you're working with the Bishop and Kerry on a pilot project to get more members of the community involved in the church. But you're saying that Cork still hasn't come around to it?
3: No, I don't think so. And I don't think it's been hard. I think maybe uh, Bishop Fenton maybe thought it was unique to Kerry and that Cork was fine. But after the meeting that I have with TVG... I suppose I, I would tell him today on the radio, you know, he, he has issues there and he needs to meet with the people of and He needs to stand up and be a leader. That's part of the part of being a bishop is and mm. speak for these people and try to work with them. Do you know, canon law causes a lot of marginalisation in our church, mate. And the fact is, we've seen on RT there recently... That a lot of groups cannot get involved in the church because of canon law. But there's no canon law stopping travellers from participating in the church. If anything, it promotes them as baptised Catholics to be participating regularly in the back. So
1: so it, what you're it, really it, saying is that tra- travellers do have an empathy with the church. They want to get involved more in the church. They might might feel unwelcome in the church, be that from the church itself or from the church-going public. Uh, and that's what you're advocating, that the bishops reach out and welcome them in. I have your letter here from the Irish Episcopal Conference. Uh, do you want me to read it out? Do, yeah, it's, I do, of course. To me, to me, it's like getting a letter from a TD, but there you go. Uh, oh, Dear Richard, thank you for your, your communications with the Catholic Communications Office and the Bishops Council for Justice and Peace, and for your letter of the 4th of December 2021 to Archbishop Eamon Martin, President of the Irish Episcopal Conference. I wish to assure you that your letter regarding the inclusion of members of the travelling community in the pastoral life of the church was circulated to all the bishops at the March 2022 general meeting of the Irish Bishops Conference. The letter was commended to their attention to help encourage pastoral outreach at local level. The important issues issues which you've raised will also help to inform the bishops in ongoing discussions on how we can engage with all groups who may feel marginalized in society and the Church, especially as we continue along the synodal pathway in the Irish Church. With every good wish and blessing, yours sincerely, Joseph McGuinness, Monsignor, Executive Secretary of the Irish Episcopal Conference. Happy with the letter, or is it uh, standard? Thank thank you and goodbye.
3: I think it was um, generally shared. Um, Peter McFurry wrote me a very touching letter to provide to that conference that was shared with him. And Peter McFurry wrote down his um, experience about how he's seen travelers being treated in churches. And um, I, I know that they shared that letter as well. So I think there is support here from the clergy. I suppose I'm a theologian myself. And, you know, it'd be a shame for me to be educated in my faith and to watch my people being excluded. I think Cork and Terry now should really work together on this. Um, It'd be an awful shame if Cork was left behind the big Cork community up there. I know some of them. I know they're very religious. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that they will work with the parish. Because, you know, this has been going on too long and we live in a different age now and travellers should have the same opportunities as everybody else. Mm. And our church should be the first place to start that church. All right. Well,
1: well done in your efforts, Richard O'Brien from Killarney. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thanks. For me on. All the best. Cheers. Bye bye. Uh, Jay is on WhatsApp. Let's go to the WhatsApp line. Good morning to you, Jay. Oh, he's gone. Is he? Okay. Uh, okay. We'll take a break and come back with the uh, Neil Prenderville show in a moment.
2: Talk to Neil Prenderville now 818
1: Cork's Red FM uh, Neil is on a well-deserved break until Monday, fortnight when he'll be back uh, with you again Let's go now to our WhatsApp line and uh, speak to Jay Good morning, Jay Hey, how's it going? Very good This is a clearer WhatsApp line than we had into guitar earlier on uh, You want to comment about the Chemical Brothers and their cancelled concert tonight?
11: Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's, it's a horrible situation for anyone who books hotels or you know traveling so on. But I think Ireland's going to have to get used to this. Really, um, travel travel costs, uh, petrol prices, everything. Moving gear around for a concert that big. Uh, at the end of the day, if you get a last minute offer to stay, you know because they've got the Channel Tunnel over there, they can. It's cheaper. It's handier. At the end of the day, if you get a last-minute offer, I mean, it's going to save you money. You're probably getting bigger money from Glastonbury than you are from, from Cork anyway. Was Glastonbury a last-minute uh, offer for them? Uh, well, it would have been... It would have been offered after they got Cork, I'd imagine.
1: Oh, the, the Cork would have been in, in training and in planning for a long, long time. Do you think it might have anything to do with ticket sales?
0: Uh, yeah,
11: I mean... Ticket sales as well, I mean, prices go, prices are going up. I mean, not. I'm not sure how much, how many um, tickets were sold in Cork, but, um, I mean, I know so many people that were on Facebook looking forward to going to it, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and a lot of disappointed people on Facebook last night. As you say, a lot of them travelling, a lot of them with hotel rooms booked that they can't cancel, and a lot of them paying in- inordinately high prices for those hotel rooms.
11: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean... <laughs> There's, I don't I don't think there's going to be much comeback from that either, is there?
1: No, they hardly will. Uh, but if, if they said illness in the band or illness in the crew, you, you would have said something. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, they then came out with COVID in the band and crew. Uh, in, in this sense, uh, and we'll have to wait and see, how can they show up at Glastonbury?
11: Well, that's it. I mean, you know, if it, if it was legit, fair enough, but there's no way you could have COVID in your band and show up at a festival. That just wouldn't be allowed you know, yeah. you, you probably got arrested for that.
1: Okay, we'll, we'll have to some way get to the bottom, but we've asked, uh, or we're trying to get in touch with the MCD for a statement. Uh, I doubt if that will be forthcoming, because the band have put forward uh, their own statement, but do you reckon it's better bucks at Glastonbury, easier to get to with equipment, thanks to the Channel Tunnel, and uh, that Cork uh, just became the fall guy, maybe?
11: Pretty much, it's unfortunate, it really is, um, would have brought a lot of money to the city for the night, or probably mm-hmm. for the weekend, but You know, at the end of the day, it's, yeah, pork is basically the fall day.
1: Yeah. All right. Thanks a million for the call, Jay. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. Uh, Now then, uh, back to a story yesterday and we we were talking to Shannon This is the most sus phone call I've ever heard on air. Good morning, Mick. For goodness sake, man, tell that woman the majority of people in this country currently have mental health issues. But still we get up and we go to work days and nights to keep a roof over our heads and provide for our families. I'm completely fed up of hearing these over-exaggerated sob stories. We all have burdens to carry and don't tell me her father doesn't have any room for them. That's nonsense. And I'm assuming if you read this out, the snakes, snitches and curtain twitchers... We'll take the high moral ground as usual. No matter what way we slice it, dice it or chop it up, life is hard, life is tough and uh, we must get on with it. Suck it up. Regardless, uh, loving the show, no name on uh, that one. By the way, uh, the lady who had her car stolen and the uh, very special barrel lock uh, could not be found. Uh, Conneens in Mahon Point. and I should have mentioned this yesterday because we always recognise... Uh, kindness from listeners and businesses on the Neil Prendival Show. So fair play and hats off to Coneans in Man Point. They have been in touch and they will sort Shannon with the lock on her Nissan Micra. Nissan March, I beg your pardon. Uh, on the HSC, uh, Mick, uh, when you speak in revered tones about Tony Holohan, I don't think I did, uh, please remember he fecked up the cervical fiasco. Uh, can you kindly thank uh, Tom McCarthy uh, from from New York, uh, for two tickets that I won for my niece last week. She is off to see Harry Styles in Dublin today. That was last night, of course, and that is uh, from Pat. Tom McCarthy, well connected with the music scene here in Ireland. Indeed, it's Tom, uh, through Tom, and I was hooked up with uh, Rod Stewart to take Rod Stewart out for a, a half a day around Cork Harbour on the boat. Uh, now, in Corpus Christi, uh, which has uh, raised quite a few texts, there's no interest in it anymore and it should be scrapped anyway, says John. Uh, for Father uh, Tom Hayes, it was hardly a big undertaking. It was moved in 2017 from the city centre to go up to St. Mary's to the cathedral. That's a fairly easy procession to complete. Uh, what does that tell you about the Catholic Church claiming to be God's representatives on earth? They're not great shepherds, are they? says another texter. And that lady is right. The new bishop is invisible. Uh, when my mum was in hospital, says another texter, Bishop Buckley called every day. Just to bless her. My mum loved his call as such a holy person, but has passed away since. If Bishop Buckley is listening, I want to thank him so much. I'm not a church goer, uh, and so, uh, bore, and, and I'm so boring, I need to get with the times. I don't know why you say that about yourself, but you want to thank Bishop Buckley anyway. Couple of more. When I came to Cork nearly 40 years ago, I was walking down Patrick Street carrying the Irish Times when a man came up to me and said, I suppose you're too grand to read the examiner said Anne from BlackRock. Uh, one final one on COVID pregnancy. Uh, I, I recently saw the CMO is talking about scaling back COVID testing. It would be great to talk rules, uh, still in place for women about to give birth. Hospitals still aren't allowing partners into hospitals until the woman is four, uh, the woman is four centimeters dilated. Uh, but yet they can visit from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. It makes no sense whatsoever. They also can only attend two appointments throughout the whole pregnancy. Uh, don't and can't want to talk. Uh, I can't and don't want to talk on air about it as I'm due very soon. But I just wanted to see if anyone else was sending this in uh, as as uh, I'd love if it was up for discussion and awareness. So still restrictions about the partners going into women about to give birth. Hospitals apparently not allowing partners into hospitals. Uh, for the birth until the woman is four centimetres dilated, uh, but yet they can visit from 7am to 11pm. The virus is smart, you see. It knows we won't even go down that road. Let's go back to our phone lines in line one. Jack O'Connell. Good morning, Jack. Hi, how are things? Very good. You're taking on a long drive, are you? We are. We are indeed. It's been a, a long time coming there. Um,
12: there's uh, three of us, three big lads, driving a 22-year-old Micra to Georgia.
1: Oh, I saw this online, actually, yeah. Yeah. So, young, young guys uh, yeah, young guys in a cheap car, uh, you didn't pay too much for it, I believe, 1,500 or something, was it?
12: Uh, no, I actually got this for 200 euros. 200? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's an old one-owner Nissan Micra. It had 48,000 miles, 200 euros uh, when, when they were a bit cheaper at the time. Um The original aim was to to drive it the whole way to Mongolia as part of the Mongol Rally, but obviously with uh, COVID and obviously the the Russian issue at the moment, there's some borders shut, so the new finish line is going to be Georgia, um, and we're raising money for the Marymount Hospital and Irish Cancer Society as well.
1: Oh, two very worthy causes. You're heading off in three weeks, um, and you're going to be called, not Buds, but uh, Team Three Best Buds. (laughs) Yeah, so we've named the team Team Three Best Spuds. Um, so it's
12: kind of like on an Instagram and Facebook and kind of GoFundMe and stuff like that at the moment. So um, I've, from two of us are from a farming background and uh, one of the lads is a production manager in uh, Slaney Farm uh, Produce up in Wexford. So it just kind of seemed like the easy, natural one to go for Three Best Spuds and particularly to have the Irish team on it as well, I suppose.
1: And can people support this worthy effort for those two fine charities?
12: Yeah, definitely. So look, if you want to go on to GoFundMe, um, you can just type in Tree best spots and you should find us there or else on Instagram and Facebook uh, team Tree best
1: spots. And we have a link to the GoFundMe on that as well. OK, almost sounds like a great name for a okay. restaurant, doesn't it? <laughs> you have your, chips, your options on the you have menu, your imagine, but yeah chips or french fries, you're going to have your sweet potato and maybe your couple of roasties <laughs> or something uh, So That's what's it going to be it, like yeah. in, a, in what's essentially a tiny car uh, carrying three people, three adults, and three adults luggage? <laughs> Uh. <laughs> yeah. So um, you, you,
12: if on the, if anyone wants to check out the Instagram, you can see the car at the moment. So we've kind of raised the suspension slightly. We put a snorkel on it because you know we don't want to just use motorways. We want to kind of go off road and go kind of back road and see the countries that we're going through as well. Tell, um, tell me about the snorkel.
1: I, what exactly do you mean? I thought a snorkel would only work on a diesel so, engine.
12: Uh well, either or. So, like, it's if you were to drive into water, so the engine doesn't suck in any uh, water. Um, so it's just taking the air from above the water line as yeah. well. So it, it doesn't uh, get locked. Um, and thankfully, Hose Tech and Little Island actually kind of donated some good uh, pipe work to us for that. And uh, we fitted it and tested it. And um, we drove the car up to about windscreen level in the um, at the, the ferry crossing there between Passage and Cove as well. You know, people thought we were a bit crazy, but you know, we're, we're there as all control just to make sure it still worked. So, uh, so, so that uh, that was a good experience, all the same.
1: Okay, now, I, I suppose the override the elephant in the room here. This is a 22 year old mm-hmm. car. How are you sure yeah. it's going to make it? It's
12: an Issa Micra. It definitely will make it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're we're putting a lot of trust in the in the brand of the Micra. You know, it's either between that or a Starlet, um, and they're fairly simple mechanically anyway, as well. So, and uh, kind of parts, and they're they're relatively easy to work on. I suppose as you go across different countries.
1: Okay, Uh, so this is a 22-year-old micro. You're going to take it across mountains, rivers, and dozens of countries on the adventure of a lifetime. And fair play to you, doing it while you're young. And you're going to be raising money for three charities, actually, not two: Uh, the Irish Cancer Society, Marymount Hospice, and the Cool Earth Project. Um, Now, this, yeah. You want to say anything about either of the charities?
12: Yeah, so I suppose, look, obviously, you know, like, so the Cool Earth project, it's actually changed the Ukraine crisis appeal at the moment because that's with um, the adventurists who run this rally. You, uh, as a part of the entry, we have to raise €500 um, Euros for that, and then we can raise anything extra for the charities we wanted. Um, so obviously, like, I think... You know, in Cork in particular, Marymount is a great facility, Um, you know, touches a lot of lives. It's a great charity, so I think it's always a worthy cause as well. And uh, hand-in-hand with the Irish Cancer Society as well, you know, uh, between the three of us having kind of experiences with them. So they're always a worthy cause to raise a bit of money for.
1: And the rules are very simple here, and, and this would be, and this would attract me as well if I was of your age, okay? The rules are very simple. Number one, the chosen car must be small and not suitable for the journey ahead, yeah. and the older the better exactly. that's brilliant, I think that's great uh, yeah. n- number two, you're completely on your own there's no backup, mm-hmm. there's no bailouts, no nothing, just yourselves yeah, and number three, charity uh, you're aiming to raise as much as you can for the three amazing charities these th- those yeah. are wacky but lovely rules yeah
12: that's it. Think, like, and it has to be kind of like the the one liter engine as well, just to, I suppose you know it would be too easy if it was comfortable um i uh, so it will be it'll be enjoyable you know we'll be um there's a road in a road in turkey called d 915 apparently it's um the second most dangerous road in the world it's nicknamed death road but it's drivable there's no problem there so we'll uh, have a bit of fun on that um and t- taking it up kind of mountain ranges as well and stuff you know we've I couldn't even chance pronouncing the name of some of these places um but there's an amazing kind of mountain top um sites between Macedonia and the Greek border as well. So, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully document it quite well to see some kind of crazy places
1: along the way as well that are just kind of not usual. Okay, I'm going to put you in a spot here now. Who is Jeremy Clarkson? Who is James May? And which one of you is Richard Hammond?
12: (laughs) Um, Oh, it depends now. I would say... I'd like to say I'm a bit of all three of them. Um, <laughs> but I would say Tommy might be the Richard Hammond side of things. I'd probably call it, put myself as Jeremy. And then MJ would be the uh, James May side of things, I would say.
1: Now I've got you in trouble, haven't I? Uh, tell, <laughs> tell me <laughs> about the location for your official launch party, finally, uh, Jack.
12: Yeah, so uh, as we drive across, we have to go to the official launch party. Is an abandoned uh, Soviet missile silo just kind of outside of Prague. Oh uh, yeah, um, so as have it have would be, be. There <laughs> on the, yeah standards, like yeah. So we have to be there for the sixteenth of July. Um, so in the meantime, we'll kind of get across Europe, see some of the historic sites. We're going to attempt to get the Micra onto the Nurburgring. You know, put it in there with the rest of uh, the supercars, of course, yep. and uh, just see how things go.
1: Yeah. Don't get caught in the Paris traffic anyway, whatever you do. So you're leaving Wexford <laughs> yeah. on the 11th of July, uh, and it's team uh, three best spuds, and it's at yeah. team underscore three best spuds on Instagram and Facebook. Every success, Jack O'Connell. Well done, and come home safe.
12: Thank you so much for that. really appreciate it.
2: Thanks. Cheers. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818 104 106.
1: And a very good morning again from the Neil Prenderville Show. "Doucha Boy, an anthology of Cork Slang, is uh, an old book, 2004, by Morty McCarthy, uh, one-time uh, drummer uh, with uh, the Sultans. Wasn't it Sultans of Ping? The uh, brazen wallop, he says, is a saucy person. What we're looking for, we're going to give away three of these books uh, to callers now or texters. Uh, if you text us in, of course, we'll have your number and we'll ring it back and get you the, the book out to you. Please... Get in touch with your favourite Cork slang. Uh, we have some we're going to give away to uh, textures. Uh, and uh, hi, here's, here's a text. Hi, I'm from Poland and I'm living in the Rebel County for the last 19 years. Uh, it was new to me, but when I was pregnant with my daughter, I heard that I was boxed. Another great one for Cork slang is pure, decent boy. Uh, so well done. Funny Cork saying, with another texture. Do you hear him? It's all the one. I'm only going down long. Not a mind her. The face on her. Don't be penny wise and pound foolish. I think that's uh, maybe outside of cork, though. Uh, go on, so me love. See you later. Hang on a minute. Hang on a second, a minute dear, now. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, if he was chocolate, he'd ate himself. Uh, not a mind him. The cheek or her. Are you for real? Who th- do you think you are? I just can't, can't get the, the header on some of this stuff. Stop. You're freaking me out. I'm warning you. Lock, stock and barrels. says he to me, not a minder. The blind leading the blind is another one. Uh, we're getting lots of texts on this one. Uh He should give his face a joyride, which means uh, he should smile. Um, should God help us or should God love him? That's a huge one in Cork, actually. Uh He passed away, should God love him? Um, on it like a car bonnet is meant to mean uh, I'll do it straight away. I will in me whole. <laughs> That's one I use a lot, says Mal. Uh, and hi Mick, Uh, I can't believe that Neil Amon boy doesn't know the national anthem he must have been on the Lang the day they were learning it. that's obviously from uh, a couple of days ago right then, uh, let's go to line 2 and to Margaret uh, staying on the uh, traveller situation and on travellers and how they are treated by the church, hi Margaret
7: hi, good morning
1: you. now, how are travellers treated by the church in your eyes?
7: Well, I'm 60 years of age and I'm a member of travelling community, I'm from Killarney all my life and when my children were growing up there was never any opportunity or the church never came forward and asked them if they wanted to get involved but that didn't stop us from going to church but I feel myself, my appearance alone when I walk into the church Uh, people can identify me straight away and know that I'm a traveler. And I had one instance there with the COVID. I had my mask on and I attended the church and a person actually got up off the seat and moved from me. And I felt, I just, it was very embarrassing. And I felt, why was I not allowed to come into the church? They were wearing a mask. I was keeping the rules. But as I say, I was listening to Richard there. And if there was someone around the time my children was young for Richard, young travelling children are not being involved in the church. And there is a lot of racism in a lot of different areas with the travelling community. And I, it, I have very good friends in settled community. I have great neighbours and people that I worked with. But there is an awful lot of work to be done uh, when it comes to being involved with the church.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, as I did mention to Richard, uh, the, the travelers cling to the Catholic faith more than other uh, elements of society, shall we say. The observance by the travelers of the sacraments, for instance, uh, and sometimes it can be maybe an ostentatious show of fashion or of wealth, uh, but they do, the traveling community, observe uh, baptisms, communions, confirmations, uh, w- weddings with fervor, really, and, and with joy. Would, would you agree with that? Well, yes. Well,
7: I would, I would have nothing got to do with wealth for me, to be honest with you. Uh, as I said, I'm old school. Since I was, uh, since I was young, I'd always tin mass. And as I said, I always didn't. When my children were young, they'd always come to Holy Wells with me. It has nothing got to do with wealth. But Travellers had this... Strong, strong faith, and so has the members of the settled community. I'm not putting travellers above settled community. As I said to you, there is a lot of good friends that I work with in the town here, members of settled community. And I would honestly say, if you have faith, you have faith, regardless of what minority you are or where you come from.
1: Okay. Uh, now, I'm only talking about a small element of the travelling community here, but if they are clinging to the Catholic faith, how can that be reconciled? Uh, With that element that, you know, do the catching people, if you like, uh, you know, doing the roofs and the tarmac and that, and and the the bad reputation it generates, perhaps unfairly, for the rest of the travelling community. Is there work to be done there?
7: Well, it is, because... There is a lot of work to be done there because what I find is that if one traveler does something, everyone else is painted with one brush. But if that was done within the member central community, that wouldn't be my view. I wouldn't paint them all with the yeah, one brush. Person would be- there needs a lot of work to be done there. Yes, there needs a lot of work to be done there, and a lot of research. Because if one person goes out and does something, you can't just turn around and pick a stone and throw it in and say they're the same. So I think there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of issues, and a lot of background into that. Okay, if, some, if a traveller goes out and assaults someone, all travellers, no, regardless of where you live, they're all cast the same. But would that be with the central community? No, I haven't seen that.
1: Okay. Now you say you, you have faith, you visit Holy Wells. Is that here or abroad?
7: Uh, well, I, I wouldn't not abroad I'm not one for travelling I would go to Turbeth Well in Mill Street St John's Church in Mill Street or I would go to St Michael's Church in Three I would be a regular visitor to St Mary's Cathedral here in Killarney and a regular visitor to Friary Church
1: So can I ask you that person that moved away from you when you went to church to exercise your faith and exercise your right to practice your faith in a Catholic church that person who moved away from you what did you think of them? Because mm-hmm. to me they're not observing the true principles of Catholicism or of Christianity. Well
7: they're not. They're not. I'll tell you what I've done. I left them move me and I my intention when I went in there was was for my faith and I kneeled and I prayed and I just overlooked it. And anyone like that anyone that feels that they don't want to be around me. I mean, the church is for everyone. I leave them in the Lord's hands. I leave the Lord deal with them. We're only all one. We have one God and one judge. that will judge us all. But you have a lot of people. Now, on every side and in every culture, you have a lot of people that will go into the church and they will kneel and they will pray, but they'll only do it for their own part. I mean, when you go into a church, you're praying and you don't think the stone on a throat, If there's someone sitting next to you, regardless of their culture, their color, or whatever, I would not get up and leave the chair. Mm. I went in there to make my peace with God. So, I mean, that person, all I can say, you know, my opinion of that was, I, I kind of um, will overcome things like that where I have through a lot of racism in my life.
1: Yes, but sure, surely that prejudice, that deep-down prejudice that you uh, as a community of travelers can continue to experience, it, it must hurt. I, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying all of it, is, is without blame because of that minority that may be giving you a bad name but for for you as, as, as a as a traveler woman to be shunned like that in a place of god must really hurt
7: a, it does hurt it does hurt and as i said there is a lot of issues there but as i said pride one thing i've never I've been rejected out of my life as a member of traveling community which more sexual community a lot of settled community I am very close to but as my mother taught me she said listen if a person don't accept you you rise above it you rise above that and you don't make it an issue it's not an issue for me it's Uh, Say, if there was some other traveler, maybe they were sitting there and didn't agree with it. You see, people I I think, intend to expect traveling people to revoke and to answer back, or maybe find it abusive. But as I said, at 60 years of age, I have learned to rise above these things. And I went into the house of God, and I went to pray. I didn't go to, especially to sit by that person, but it was very hurtful. It was, and very degrading.
1: Mm And uh, on the other side of things, of course, uh, certain elements of the traveling community have a bad rep, a bad reputation when it comes to alcohol and fighting. Uh, if that snub was given to, let's say, uh, a male, and maybe not just, I'm not just saying exclusively male, even a female, but to a member of the traveling community who had a few drinks in, it's, uh, do you think they're more likely to rise to the occasion and and, and, and react aggressively?
7: No, I don't think so, because as far as alcohol is concerned, I've seen it here in the town that we live in. <laughs> My God, you couldn't walk the streets by night. And, and that's not down to
1: travellers. That's the
7: travelers would know. it's not down to travellers. Well, it would be a lot of people that would be coming into the town. You know, Killarney is a tourist town. But a lot of travellers, I think, have learned to revoke and not not to... You know, if you are who you are, you know who you are and you know where you came from. I would not revoke a person. I taught my children that, and I have five adult children, and they've been very successful in life. But if a person doesn't accept me for who I am, I'm not the one with the problem. They are the one with the problem. That's my opinion on that.
1: Yes, and uh, what's the ethos of being a traveller? Is it kind of born a traveller, always a traveller? That's another religion you cling to. Well, I-
7: well, being a, being a member of travelling community and going back 60 years, of us, as I said, church has always been a highlight for us, and our culture is our culture. A lot of people don't understand our ways, but it's just you have to be born a traveller to know what a traveller is. But I mean, we have to eat, sleep, and drink like everyone else. We're normal people. We keep our houses tidy. i I've been called a knacker, and I've come all these names, and I mean, I have risen above them, didn't I risen above them. I, my mother taught me that, she said, listen, if they don't accept you for who you are, Margaret, yeah. she said, you'll be proud of who you were and accept yourself, I just I, listen, just,
1: sorry? I, I never mentioned that word when talking to a traveller, you mentioned it there, isn't that the worst thing you can call a traveller?
7: Oh, well, I'll tell you now, I've been called a dirty smelly knacker. And I've been, going back years ago, it was Tinker Taylor, And I remember I was only a child and I didn't understand what it was and I ran into my mother. And this word Tinker to me was a very, I I can't explain how I felt about it. It made me feel so degraded. And I remember running into my mother and she was standing at the sink. And I ran over to her and she said, what are you crying for? And I said, I was out playing with friends to remember such a community. And I said, when I got, too good. We were playing a game hopscotch, and one of them turned around and said to me, you "Go, you smelly tinker." So of course I was young and I didn't understand. So I went crying. I went into my mother, and she sat me down, and she said, "Listen, as you get older, she said, you'll grow into your body, and you'll know who you are. And if it's within, it's within," she said. So it is very degrading. And now I was only a child, I was only about 10 years at at that time. But it is. But I don't, society hasn't come much further since then. No, it hasn't. I I was just going to say.
1: And and, and the fact that you're able to rise above it, Margaret, uh, I think is is down to some very solid and capable parenting on your mum's behalf.
7: That's right, it is, uh, God rest my mother, and my own children has resolved that. And I've, uh, my children came back from school when they were young and they said, mommy, I was confident that I said, listen, you do not, you do not walk back. I said, listen, you know who you are. You'll be proud of who you are. If they have the problem, they're unhappy with themselves. it's not you. So all my children, as I said to you, my three daughters, my two sons, have become very successful, very Them under leave and thirst okay. and they went on. And they're very high up. But I think, it's a, I think it all comes down to parenting and has been called a knacker. As my mother always said to me, listen, she said, a
1: child, do not come out and repeat that. It's all what comes from within the home. Yes, it it comes from their own parenting as well. Uh, Just a text came in in there to us, Margaret. Just by text here, uh, hi, I was listening to Richard O'Brien speak. What a powerful interview it was. Travellers are not uniform people like everyone else in society. They all have different types of people, good and bad. We should all not be painted with the one brush. To exclude the traveller children from religious services is actually morally wrong. You spoke with passion, Richard, and a genuine concern for the marginalized. We, the religious community in Cork, should get behind this project. What a beautiful church we would all uh, have to welcome people into. That's my text there, agreeing with Richard. I think you'd agree there, Margaret, as well, would you?
7: I do, I agree with that. And I I also agree with Richard. When his child turned around, and of course that child felt it in our class when there was maybe... uh, Preparing for communion or whatever. That child felt she was asked to attend in the services where the members of the community, her friends, were ex So the child felt left out. So that's why she turned to Richard next. And that, yeah. that child is inquisitive at that age. She's feeling left out.
1: Margaret, it's been lovely talking to you. You could, you could talk for hours about your feelings and, and, and the way the Traveller community are, are treated. Uh, you're very well-spoken. You've raised a fine family, uh, and I think you must feel very proud. We've Sean on line five. Thank you, Margaret.
7: Thank you very much Thanks. for having me on. Thank All
1: the you. best. Uh, not a problem. Very quickly, let's get to Sean on line five. Hi, Sean. Hello. Hi. You? It's Mick. You, you're saying Travellers are the real old Irish people, like the American Indians, hunted off their land.
13: Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. No. I. I don't. I don't uh, want to spend too long on. But I, when I heard the program, I said, to, uh, "I mean, I'm in my late seventies, and I can remember all these people. Uh, we called them wagon trains on the on the roads years and years ago. But like, they're the real old Irish people. You look at all their names, and they all came from most of them from the west of Ireland." and they were hunted and shoved off of their, out of their homes, their lands, uh, hundreds of years ago. They were shoved onto the roads, nowhere to go, you know, and that's basically what I'm, what I want to say, like, you know, that, okay, we all have problems, settled people, everybody, ups and downs in our lives, but like, uh, these people, they're, shoved off their lands hundreds of years ago, shoved onto the roads, nowhere to go, uh, under the every kind of conditions, rain, hail and snow. And,
1: and built their proud tradition of of, of being a travelling community from that. What's that? And built their own tradition from that, I'm saying. What's that again? I said they built their own tradition of being a travelling community from being pushed out onto the roads.
13: Of course they did, yeah. But like, you know, they're, when they... Um, when they were shoved onto the road, they they came. Everybody could see them on the road. You understand what I'm saying?
0: Mm-hmm.
13: They, they became what we, I'm not. I'm not? They became a nuisance to people, settled people that didn't understand the history of the traveller. They called them travellers, but they were the real old Irish stock.
1: But the the old Irish travellers would be uh, knife smiths, or what was you called? Knife sharpeners, or handyman and that kind of thing. Tinsmiths.
13: I, I remember, as I said, years and years ago when when there was a travel down around the country area, there'd be, there'd be hordes of them. There'd be 10 and 12 on uh, the round covered wagons on the roads. They'd have horses, goats. They'd be nearly self sufficient and get calling to every house. They'd have seven lino. Oh. They'd be doing everything. As I said, there were tinsmiths. They're, they're selling everything. But I, I just come back to what I'm, what I'm saying. Like the younger generation, I don't understand where these people came from. There, as I said, they're the real old Irish people that, that were to not not their fault.
1: Were so shoved off their lands, principally in Connacht.
13: All
1: right, Sean. Thank you very much, and good morning to you.
13: Okay, bye bye.
1: Thanks, bye bye. We'll take a final call from Mike Donovan. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hi,
8: Mike. How are we going? Good and yourself? I'm very good, very good, very good. I listened to the show there this morning in relation to crop slang and that, you know? Yeah. Just have a quick question here on that. What's the, the most famous uh, or the most popular name in crop, do you know?
1: Oh, I don't know. Is it Finney?
8: Why'd you say that? I don't know.
1: Because they all say, come here
8: to me, bye. Come uh, here, Timmy. Come here to me, bye. Now, Timmy <laughs> is the one, yeah? T- t- Timmy, know, come here to me,
1: bye. Have you any other ones before we go? I, okay, no, what, no, that's, what,
8: that's, what, that's about all I can manage for
1: today. What, what, if I was, what if I was to say to you, I'll give you down the banks? What would that mean? I'll what give him down the banks him. when I catch him. That means I'll give I him,
8: him a, hiding, a right be to be him. Be
1: the, yeah. d- the paper was, was what? The deco. Yeah, or the examiner. Uh, do you remember the phrase, a Dagenham yank? A Dagenham yank was was uh, somebody who worked
8: in Fords,
1: was it? Worked in Fords and Dagenham in East London and he came Dagenham, home. yeah. Uh, and yep. came home and uh, splashing the money around the pubs and all of that. Am
8: not that
11: old?
1: Yeah, and now, okay. <laughs> there's, there's another one, which is B-U-T-T-Y, right? And uh, it's nothing to do with a chip butty or a jam butty. Do you know what butty means? Buddy, 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 buddy. It's a variation in the pronunciation of the word buddy. Uh, this is me butty, Damien.
8: Oh, me butty. Me
1: uh, butty, but bye. Sure, sugar. Uh,
8: a, a, lot of, uh, that one.
1: a lot of people call, uh, in Cork call Kinsale Kingsale as well. Put the Kingsale. G into it. I think that's the old yeah. the old pronunciation from uh, from way back when. Um, All
8: the Norries call it Kingsale. Kingsale, the, yeah. The Sorries call it, the, the it Kinsale. <laughs> that's the right.
1: call it Kingsale. And uh, f- uh, just to recognize the day and the evening we have in it, Bonner?
8: Bonfire night, bye. I was far Bonfire on Bonfire's
1: Night. Are you? Happy birthday.
8: No, not really. <laughs> Mike Donovan, thanks very much. Bonfires night. I won't say where that saying came from and I don't mean to be in any way disrespectful to your last <laughs> No bother. Callers.
1: All right, Mike. Thanks a million.
8: Take care, mate. Take Cheers. care. Have a good
1: week. Thanks. Anyway. Bye-bye. The, uh, the show today was produced by uh, Kevin Galvin, by Seamus Whelan and by Clara Connor. Take care if you have loved ones around bonfires this evening. And I'll talk to you on the Neil Pratt of the show after nine o'clock news in the morning.
0: This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie.
5: It's full of great Red FM content.